we're ready. All right, thank you. Uh, welcome everyone to the December 19th, 2022 meeting of the Alameda Open Government Commission. I uh, will start with our roll call. Madam Clerk, can you please take the roll? Yes, uh, Commissioner Canberra. Present. Chen. Here. Montgomery. Present. Telos. Here. Chair Lopalato. Present. Five present, and um, we have the numbers of attendees. Nine one two eight, and the Zoom meeting ID is eight five nine two four five five seventeen zero six. So um, hopefully we get through it and get to hear everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, so next uh, on our agenda is the space for non-agenda public comment. Um, Madam Clerk, do we have any speakers who would like to give public comment on matters that are not covered in this agenda? It looks like we have one, um, Haley Foote. Okay, and this would be for matters not covered on the agenda. Um, and <clears throat> we have three minutes per speaker then, and we can go up to 15 minutes, but it looks like only one speaker. Actually, thank you. I raised my hand too early to trying to avoid the perils of last time. So I'm gonna reserve it for the, um, for the November 1st discussion. So I will lower my hand. All right, thank you, Speaker Foote. <laughs> Okay, uh, do we have any other hands raised for non-agenda public comment? All right. We do not. Thank you. So um, moving on to section three, we have agenda item 3A, uh, which is a hearing on Sunshine Ordinance complaint filed on November 14th, 2022. Um, so under item 3A here, before we bring our uh, parties into the Zoom room and begin the hearing, I'll briefly go over our um, presentation order and sort of the uh, sub-agenda for the way we conduct hearings here. So first we'll have um, the complainant's opening statement and presentation of facts. Um, there's a 10 minute time limit on that. We then have the respondent's opening statement and presentation of facts also with a 10 minute time limit. Um, the complainant will then have an opportunity to uh, reply to the respondent's presentation of facts if needed. And that has up to five minutes allocated. Uh, after the opening statements, presentation of facts, and any reply by the complainant, the commissioners have an opportunity to ask questions of the parties and witnesses. Uh, we are each given five minutes per commissioner for that. Once the questioning is complete, we will bring the complainant back in for a closing statement of two minutes, 
The respondent will then get a closing statement time of two minutes. Um, after that, uh, we will check with the clerk to see if there are speakers for public comment. And following the speakers, I will um, begin asking the commissioners if there's motion or discussion uh, for hearings. Uh, we typically don't have time limits on the deliberations, but we can set some. I think we might need to tonight um, just to keep things moving along. Um, and then so finally, when we do enter our deliberations, when the time comes, our decision options are the following. Uh, complaints can be sustained with a cure and correct recommendation. They can be sustained without a cure and correct recommendation. Complaints can be denied. Complaints can be denied as unfounded or a complaint can be dismissed on jurisdictional or procedural grounds. Uh, we can make those findings with respect to individual claims within a complaint or with respect to the full complaint. Uh, tonight's hearing is going to involve a complaint which as submitted does have multiple claims within it. So we'll likely break out our deliberations claim by claim. Um, and as the chair, I just wanna give a couple other quick reminders, um, some notes at the start, just to keep everyone grounded. Um, and also just remind members of the public that our purview here on the Open Government Commission uh, needs to stay focused on whether there was a violation of the Sunshine Ordinance. Um, so we don't revisit the merits of the underlying city council decisions or um, the underlying matter that, that brought the issue before uh, the OGC here. Um, so this, uh, it, if it seems surprising that we're not discussing the, the underlying substantive matter, um, it's because of the nature of complaints before this commission. Um, as I mentioned, this is another complaint with many alleged violations, so we'll need to take them in turn and make decisions and findings on each. Um, and yet we also need to make our best effort to wrap up this hearing and deliberations tonight, um, as there will be a rotation of members off after tonight's meeting. Um, so with all that, I also wanna thank the parties and members of the public uh, attending this hearing in advance for uh, what I hope will be their patience and grace with us on the commission as we are all volunteers uh, taking in evidence and also formulating our findings and decisions in the moment, all in a public meeting. Um, and so we will do our best as we always do here. Uh, we'll go through each party's 10 minute opening statements and presentation of facts. And um, then we will head into uh, opening the floor for questions. So with that, uh, I think we can bring our complainant in for opening statement and presentation of facts. Oh, actually seeing our uh, complainants council here, I should disclose something out of, uh, I guess, an abundance of transparency. Uh, Mr. Justy, I recognize your name. We have both been in the same employment litigation world, probably maybe even counseling some of the same clients. We've never litigated against each other that I know of, um, but I did sort of share that general professional space. I think maybe our firms have had matters against each other at various points. Um, I've been advised there's there's no conflict that would require my recusal here, uh, but I did want to share that sort of out of full transparency with everyone. Thank you, Madam Chairperson. All right. And with that, um, let's move into the opening statement. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chairperson, members of the commission. Uh, my name is Paul Justy, and I represent uh, several members uh, of the Alameda community, residents on Grand Street who are directly affected by the Grand Street Improvement Project and the matter that's currently before the Open Government Committee. I'd like to begin by first putting the nature of the multiple complaints uh, in context. Um, and I don't wanna spend too much time going over the factual background, which is laid out in our, uh, both in our October 31st, 
2022 letter and our November 14th, 2022 letter, but instead focus on the important points and respond to the city attorney's office's response to these complaints. First of all, the context. On October 4th, 2022, after extensive meetings, public input, hearings, and considerable uh, uh, consideration of the Grant Street project, a vote was taken on what that project would be. Mayor Ashcraft at that hearing expressed some concern about some additional information that she would like to consider, but nonetheless, a decision was made to go forward with a vote and a vote was taken. Two days later, Mayor Ashcraft announced that she wanted to change her vote. And from that decision to change her vote, flowed five separate violations of the Sunshine Ordinance. I'm gonna take them in chronological order and again, address the, a summary of the, what the violation was, the city attorney's response and why that response is in error. The first violation occurred with respect to the October 18th, 2022 agenda item 5A, which was described as a matter on the consent calendar to approve a resolution appropriating $126,618 for the Grand, Grand Street Improvement Project. And that was a project, the parameters of which had already been decided on and voted on and determined on October 4th, 2022. There is nothing in that agenda item that even suggests that what was going to happen on the consideration of that agenda item was that there was going to be a motion and a vote to reconsider and revote on that October 4th, 2022 decision. Nowhere does it refer to reconsidering the council's vote. Nowhere does it refer to putting it back on the city council's agenda for an upcoming meeting on November 1st, but that's exactly the motion and the agenda item that was decided to reconsider this vote and put it on the November 1st, 2022 agenda to revote on a matter that had already been decided on. The only item of business that was in that agenda notification was a resolution authorizing spending money on the project, the parameters of which had already been determined. The city's response is threefold. First, it says that that particular violation was time barred. Not true for two reasons. First of all, on October 31st, 2022, my client sent a letter to the city council members raising a number of objections and expressly noting that that agenda item was improper. And as of October 31st, 2022, the city was on notice that there was an objection to that agenda item. Furthermore, there's a doctrine of ripeness that also comes into play here, that a matter is not ripe for adjudication until it's gotten to the point where there has been a substantive wrong that's occurred. And until the November 1st revote was actually undertaken, this matter was not ripe for consideration. Therefore, it's not time barred for each of those reasons. With respect to the Sunshine Ordinance itself, 
It's designed according to the language of the ordinance to expand upon and implement the Brown Act. The city attorney's response to this complaint was that the essential nature of the item was disclosed and uh, analogizing to the Brown Act. The Brown Act talks about having a general description of the item. The Sunshine Ordinance requires a meaningful description, a different type of standard than the Brown Act. And yet the city attorney said, hey, if it passes the Brown Act, it's good enough for, for us. But the city attorney's analysis is flawed because they say from that agenda item, it was clear that maybe they were going to be discussing uh, the idea of taking a revote on this. And one of the cases the city attorney's office cited uh, is San Diegans for Open Government, the city of Oceanside. And there are three examples in that decision of what isn't su uh, sufficient for disclosure items. The first was an agenda item that said that there would be a vote on a public employee and a public contract. The decision was to fire a public employee. The court said that was not an adequate description. There was a agenda item that talked about a second example, continuation of a school site, a continuation school site change. Once again, the court said that description was not sufficient for deciding to close an elementary school and move a continuation school to the site of the elementary school. Third example, agenda item, Tuolumne River, San Joaquin River flood control problem. Again, the court said, that was not sufficient to support a resolution opposing a congressional designation of the Tuolumne River as a wild and scenic river. Under the city attorney's analysis, each one of those descriptions would have been sufficient because they could figure out that maybe they would be discussing those issues. But the city, San Diegans for Open Government decision says you can't provide mere clues that are something that maybe a citizen can figure out. And with respect to agenda item 5I, it only talks about appropriating money. It does not talk about revisiting an issue that has already been decided. And we think that that's a clear violation. Now, there is a way to reconsider things under the Rosenberg rules. It's very specific, very constrained. There has to be a motion to reconsider the day of the determination by a party that voted in the majority. That did not ha happen on October, either on October 4th or even on October 18th. There can also be a vote by two thirds of the council to suspend the rules and then reconsider. And also didn't happen. Now the other item, uh, agenda item, and the analysis is very similar, is the November 1st, 2022 agenda item. On that, there was a recommendation to consider new information and proceed with construction documents for the final concept of the Grand Street Improvement Plan. Once again, a plan, the parameters of which had already been determined on October 4th. There is nothing in that agenda item that suggests that what's gonna happen is there's going to be a reconsideration of what the Grand Street Improvement project actually will consist of. City's response, once again, meaningful exam, meaningful description. Once again, it's not. And with respect to the consideration of new information, a, a member of the public reading that 
could very well look at that and say, well, they're going to consider it, but maybe what they're going to do is vote to have a formal reconsideration or suspend the rules under one of the procedures and go forward on that basis. Again, didn't happen. And even at that meeting, two council members raised concerns about the propriety of, or I'm sorry, this was at the October 18th meeting about the propriety of a reconsideration, a reconsideration that occurred on November 1st. Now, with there are other multiple violations that occurred, correspondence not being posted, city attorney's office said no evidence that correspondence wasn't posted. There are several speakers who will speak who will testify to their experience with correspondence being posted, not posted, and then coming up late. Similarly, with hands being raised. Several speakers who said they had their hands raised did not get called on. City attorney's office said, again, no evidence. We have witnesses to whom that actually happened who will be speaking during the public uh, uh, session. And with respect to the correspondence, the city attorney's office said the fundamental purpose of that is so that the board members will have the information. Not true. The fundamental purpose is also for members of the public to have correspondence posted, and it was not posted. There's a final uh, violation that the information about the November 1st vote was not adequately posted on the Grand Street uh, project website. That's time. Very good. Thank you very much for your consideration. Thank you, Mr. Justy. Um, Madam Clerk, do we have the respondent? Yes, we will uh, change out right now. Mr. Justy, we will likely see you back here in 10 minutes. There we go, having a little problem. Right, I see Mr. Roush's name here. There we go. Good evening, um, Mr. Roush. I assume you are representing respondent here and we have 10 minutes for your opening statement and presentation of facts. Thank you, Chair and members of the commission. Michael Roush, special counsel for the city of Alameda, uh, responding to the uh, Sunshine Ordinance complaints been filed in this matter. I'll go through these uh, in the order in which they appeared on the complaint. Uh, certainly, we have laid out our, our factual and legal arguments in our position statement. Um, this will be somewhat repetitive of that, but just to keep uh, the commission uh, informed and the public informed, I'll go through that. Concerning the first violation, which was a violation of uh, Section 2, 91.6 C. Uh, this was the issue about public comments not being part of the agenda materials. As indicated by the city clerk, after the agenda is posted, the city clerk adds correspondence to the database and then reposts the agenda with that correspondence. Before the November 1st meeting, the city clerk had received nine pieces of correspondence, uh, including four on the day of the meeting. The last was received at 2.54 p.m. As indicated in her declaration, 
she requested and reposted the agenda several times during that day, including reposting it at 425 p.m. that included all the correspondence that the city clerk had received. It appears that some members of the public were looking at an old or a stagnant uh, PDF of the agenda that did not have that reported correspondence. But again, the purpose of that section is to ensure that the decision makers here at the city council had all the written correspondence on the item. No council member indicated that he or she had not received that correspondence and hence there was no violation of 291.6C. Violation two concerned persons who wish to be heard, but were not uh, recognized uh, on, the, on the meeting of November 1st in violation of section 291.15B. Uh, the evidence is to the contrary. As indicated in the clerk's declaration, there is a very, uh, uh, very deliberate and express process by which people can participate in a public meeting using the Zoom. Uh, that, that process was followed uh, in this particular case. Uh, there were seven speakers uh, on that evening, the last of which was a gentleman named Matt Reed. Uh, if the video is reviewed, and as the declaration of the city clerk indicates, it is clear that after Mr. Reed uh, concluded his comments, the mayor, consistent with the practice, said, next speaker. The city clerk looked at her uh, screen and said no more raised hands and therefore said that was the last speaker. The mayor then closed public comment. Neither the mayor nor the city council uh, who were in that hearing, uh, there was no hurry, there was no rushing. It was the same kind of deliberate uh, comments that go back between the mayor and the city clerk on all public uh, speakers. Um, the, uh, there's also some uh, support for that position that came in on correspondence from uh, council member or former council member now, Knox White. Now, I guess not former, he's still on the council till uh, tomorrow. Uh, but he indicates that he also was reviewing the screen that had the speakers and he did not indicate that he saw anyone with any hands up before the mayor closed a public comment. Uh, in fact, no other city council members at that time raised any issue about public speakers having their hands up. As a consequence, there's our position that there was no violation of section 291.15B. Violation three concerned the, uh, the, the allegation that the city's webpage did not reflect the, uh, that there would be an agenda item concerning the, the Grand Street project on November 1st. Again, if you look to the purpose of that section, it is to ensure that members of the public are aware of certain projects that they may be heard. Uh, there's no evidence to suggest that members of the public were not aware that this item would be on the city council's uh, November 1st agenda. Uh, the agenda was posted 12 days ahead of time as, as is required. The city council received nine pieces of correspondence before the meeting and there were seven speakers uh, on the item as discussed previously. Four persons even said that they wanted to be, uh, be heard, but they weren't. So consequently, there's more than ample evidence to find that there was no violation of section 292.4G in this particular case. Item four, violation four, 
uh, alleges that there was a failure of the November 18th agenda uh, to discuss what the city council intended to do. That complaint is time barred. Your, your regulations and the ordinance provides very clearly that if there's a violation uh, and the violation alleged to occur on uh, October 18th, there must be a formal complaint filed with the commission, the city clerk within 15 days. Uh, this complaint was not filed until November 14th, which is outside the, the 15 day period and therefore it is time barred and uh, should be dismissed on that grounds. The final violation, violation five, was the failure of the, the alleged failure of the November 1st agenda uh, to, re to reflect uh, what was going to happen at the city council meeting on November 1st. The, the Sunshine Ordinance is clear that it requires the posting of agenda containing a meaningful description of each item of business to be transacted or discussed. It's, it's sufficient if it is clear and specific to alert a person of average intelligence and education whose interests are affected by the item that the person may have reason to attend the meeting or seek more information. The description should be brief, concise, and written in plain, easily understood English. The, uh, the violation or the, the requirement here indicated that there would be a discussion uh, about new information concerning the Grand Street project. Uh, the essential nature of what was going to be discussed was therefore uh, set forth with clarity uh, on the agenda title. Uh, it indicated clearly there was going to be a recommendation to consider that new information uh, and to proceed with construction documents. And that is exactly what the city council did. To hold otherwise would suggest that the city council could never consider uh, any any information that it might receive after it took a, uh, a decision made a decision on a particular item. Uh, that's not the way city councils work. Uh, new information comes to city councils all the time and city councils have to have the discretion in order to uh, to bring that attention to bring that to the attention of uh, other members of the public so that the matter can be fully vetted. And in fact here, uh, there was certainly uh, opportunity for the members of the public to weigh in on this. And in fact, they did. As indicated previously, there was correspondence concerning the matter. Uh, there were speakers concerning the matter. Uh, the public understood what was on the agenda and took action to make themselves be heard and get their opinions across to the city council. Uh, accordingly, uh, there was no violation of those sections of the Sunshine Ordinance concerning that the agenda did not provide any meaningful uh, information to the public. Uh, that will conclude my, uh, my comments. Again, we uh, have explained this in more detail in our position paper, but uh, this is a, a, an attempt to sort of synthesize that for the benefit of the commission and members of the public. Thank you for uh, considering uh, these, our views. Thank you, Mr. Rausch. Uh, Madam Clerk, I think, do we want to bring back Mr. Justy for possible reply? Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to reply. Um, I will be brief. Um, 
First of all, with respect to the issue of, of a city council being able to consider new information or not, there will always be additional information to be considered. What the city council did here was the equivalent of going to the registrar of voters three days after the election and saying, let's do it again. I want to change my vote because I just learned something new. A vote was had and under the rules, there are only very limited circumstances under which that vote can be revisited. And this is reading from the Rosenberg rules, the city's own parliamentary procedures. A tenant of parliamentary procedure is finality. After vigorous discussion, debate, and a vote, there must be some closure to the issue. And that's the fundamental problem that has given rise to these multiple violations. There are ways for the city to reconsider new information, but it is very limited because a fundamental tenant of parliamentary procedure is finality. And when the city decided to vote on October 4th, despite expressly recognizing, oh, there's some more information, they don't get to do the equivalent of a municipal mulligan and simply do it over again because someone changed their mind. With respect to the October 18th, 2022 agenda, uh, again, it is not time barred. I'm reading from the October 31st letter that was sent, page nine, section heading, the October 18th, 2022 agenda item also failed to adequately place the public on notice that the council could vote would vote to rehear the final Grand Street plan at the November 1st, 2022 council meeting. The purpose of the agenda is to advise the public. It's not a game of gotcha in deciding whether or not you can conceivably argue that, well, maybe it was disclosed or maybe they submitted their complaint in the proper form, but there was actual notice to the city that my clients objected to that October 18th agenda item in a timely manner. Um, with respect to the issues of public comments and uh, people raising their hands, the city has an obligation to replicate a process that will duplicate a public meeting under the COVID issues and the uh, circumstances we're dealing with. Had this been a public meeting with people raising their hands in the audience, they would have been noticed. Once again, this is not a game of gotcha and close the door as soon as you can. This issue was raised by participants who had their hands raised at the time, and the city did rush this, was hurried, and slammed the door on their ability, ability to participate. Same thing with the public comments. These are not old people who are using old versions of this, outdated versions, don't know how to use the system. You will hear from speakers that will say, I saw some things on it, then they disappeared, then they reappeared, then other information came up that wasn't previously there. And those are also violations. At the end of the day, what we have here, people talk about, you know, some people might consider this to be technicalities. Well, what some people consider to be technicalities, I consider to be the law. And it's important to follow the law. These rules exist for reasons, for reasons of finality, so that when a vote is taken, you can move forward without constantly revisiting things, so that the public knows what, the, what their representatives are voting on, 
and that they can be informed about what fellow citizens have said about the matter, and that they have an opportunity to speak their mind to their elected representatives. None of those things occurred here. This was a backdoor attempt to change a vote that had already been done, already been decided, and as far as the public was concerned, was a closed matter, and the next steps on those two agendas were allocating money and construction plans, not, hey, what do you say we circumvent the rules and re-vote on this at our next hearing, and certainly not actually re-voting on that at the next hearing. And for all of those reasons, these are clear violations of the Sunshine Ordinance. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Justy. Um, so now our next phase here is um, commissioner questioning of parties and witnesses. Uh, though I'm pausing for a moment because I'm seeing um, what I'll call an irregularity in sort of the way evidence is being presented in this hearing in that it sounds like the parties plan to speak during public comment, which uh, is not the, <laughs> the procedure that we have laid out. I think we obviously need to allow it given um, the nature of uh, wanting to have a transparent forum here where, where the public is able to speak. Uh, but I do wanna be sure that commissioners are able to ask questions that takes into account the full scope of evidence. Um, Commissioner Camber, I see your hand up with hopefully an idea here. Yeah, because I was baffled as well. About the same time you were, of how do we take testimony on five violations in some kind of order? So I think initially taking these one violation at a time, and maybe we could have our initial discussion, and then the people that wish to present evidence or vice versa, present the evidence that they have, which I'm assuming are gonna be summaries of the two big documents that we got that would just be supportive of hopefully what we already know. And then we could go into deliberations then. Okay, right. So perhaps allowing a submission of evidence based on, I, I'm not inclined to, <laughs> quintifurcate it by, by each of the five claims necessarily. Um, but I, I do think we're going to need to flip something around here to be able to, to hear from witnesses uh, before we ask questions potentially, or perhaps to have two phases of questions. Commissioner Montgomery, I see your hand up. I'm eager to hear from you. Are, do we know, are these witnesses providing some kind of other testimony that we already have in their, in letters and that's, that's in our packet? Like, is this something extra or do we already have their, are we already seeing their words? I, I don't know. That's an excellent point. Um, we're in a bit of a pickle here. Uh, Madam Clerk, uh, unless you have any uh, thoughts on how we might proceed here, I'm inclined to bring back uh, Mr. Justy to, to give us some insight into whether his clients are planning to present some type of new evidence such that we need to consider it part of the presentation of facts or uh, if it's more properly within public comment. Commissioner he Tilos, has raised his hand. So okay, let me hear from Commissioner Tilos first, actually. Okay, so okay, we've got our... Yeah, I know we have a whole bunch of attendees, but I actually just see 
two hands up, maybe we could get a gauge of how many of the attendees would like to speak versus assuming all of them want to speak. <laughs> and we could sort of gauge it from there on how we want to proceed. All right. Um, I think Mr. Dusty is going to be our, as the attorney representing the parties, he will be able to, or the complainant, he'll be able to give us an insight into uh, who may be planning to speak as a public commenter and uh, who may be speaking as a party here. Commissioner Canberra, one final thought before we bring Mr. Dusty back. Uh, yeah, because I just, as I'm looking at the list as well, there may be people that are not going to be commenting as evidence. They are going to be providing evidence as witnesses. There may be other people from the community that want to just comment on the process. And I think exactly. we, need to, we need to split those off, right? And um, I, I think we're up to be be up to you, uh, Madam Chair, person, to decide whether or not when you make that comment that you are commenting on the agenda item only and are not being a witness. So I think it's the appropriate spot where we would want to have comments on the process and then do a separate process for the witnesses. Yeah, um, thank you. And I'm inclined to take parties first. I think in a something Mr. Jesse will surely be familiar with is providing uh, the deciding body with a witness list. So um, I say, let's have Mr. Jesse come back and let us know who his witnesses are. Um, we will need to be somewhat strict in our time limits here, um, given this is already kind of an irregularity. And uh, perhaps Mr. Justy can so advise what type of scope we might be talking about here. Thank you. Um, I, first of all, I, the much of the information is, in fact, in the uh, complaint letters, um, including references to the evidence. Um, and uh, the city attorney's office's response was primarily uh, regarding there's no evidence that people had their hands raised and there's no evidence that there was no there wasn't correspondence posted. Um, uh, John Brennan, uh, Margaret Hall, um, Hale Foote and John Healy, um, if they're present, uh, would be testifying that they were not allowed to speak, even though they had their hands raised. Um, and uh, Carmen Reed, um, possibly uh, Matt Reed, uh, and John Brennan would also be testifying to the fact that there, the, the history of the posting of the correspondence and the correspondence, in fact, was not posted for certain periods of time. Um, Mr. Brennan also had a, an exchange with the city clerk that is not included uh, in the uh, materials that were submitted. So that would be uh, uh, new material. Okay. So it's fairly, uh, I think a fairly discreet list and a fairly discreet uh, um, uh, uh, identification of the issues. And uh, my clients may also have their own comments about the process, um, uh, particularly the concern that we are revisiting an issue that has already been decided, which is the overarching theme here. Um, okay, that sounds good. Madam Clerk, I see your hand up. I'm muted. Um, I, I don't know if the commission wants to consider a suspension of the rules or, or uh, if, you know, if you want to take a vote, if you want to give them more time for their presentation, or I don't know how you want to handle it within your own rules. I just wanted to raise that. Yeah, thank you. Um, I am inclined, and I think we should take a vote on this just to be sure this is the sort of full direction the commission wants to go in. Um, 
we've got four names of possible speakers providing evidence on uh, the claim regarding hands being raised. And we had uh, three, potentially three, Carmen Reed, Matt Reed, and likely Mr. Brennan again, um, with possible statements about the written correspondence. Do I have that right, Mr. Justy? Oh, oh I'm <laughs> or Madam Clerk, was anybody else taking this? Uh, yeah. I'm I'm inclined to um, perhaps do like a I would say a two minutes per witness. All claim all evidence sort of within those two minutes that would essentially be uh, up to an additional ten to twelve minutes for the presentation of evidence total. I would encourage those witnesses to then not revisit the same material if they are providing public comment later. So I think we probably need to allow for, um, you know, members who are, you know, witnesses to also, I guess, participate in the public commentary if they feel a need to. Commissioner Montgomery. Oh, you're muted. Also keeping the guidance that if they've that they've already submitted it and we already have it, that there's no need for them to say it again because we have, we've already had it. So new stuff, new things is what we want to be looking at, right? I think so. Um, and hopefully ever, you know, we'll give a little bit of latitude in case the witnesses aren't aware of exactly what's been submitted on their behalf. Sometimes that happens, but um, so I, I guess I will be making a motion to modify our procedural rules for this hearing to uh, extend the complainant's amount of time for presentation of evidence to allow a two minute speaking slot for each of the witnesses identified by the complainant's counsel as having evidence to introduce as part of the complainant's presentation of facts um, and that we would hear from those witnesses before we move into the commissioner questioning of parties and witnesses. Uh, and this suggestion motion is made with the encouragement to these witnesses to, uh, as much as possible, limit their speaking part to submission of, of new evidence or new context on evidence that was already submitted. That's a long motion, <laughs> Commissioner Canberra. Um, so with the provision that it's uh, we may need to extend time, possibly within each individual witness or complaint because of the complexity, I would second that motion. I am not gonna accept that friendly amendment. Um, and let's see if we have a majority on asking people to stick to the two minutes. There will also be a public comment period, but I, I, I I'm not fully convinced with the complexity of the issues with respect to, uh, you know, we're already granting a lot of latitude here. Hands are raised, comments, written correspondence submitted or not. Um, that's that's where I'm at. Commissioner Montgomery? I second your motion as stated. All right, Madam Clerk, can we take a roll call vote? And we will then flip over to Commissioner Canberra as an alternative motion if we need to. Commissioner Canberra? Aye. Chen? Aye. Montgomery. Aye. Tilos. Aye. Chirlo Pilato. Aye. That carries by five eyes. All right. So with that, Madam Clerk, tell me if I'm misstating anything from my 
uh, procedural improvisations to meet the moment here. Um, sounds like we will be accepting two minutes of evidentiary statements by uh, the individuals identified by Mr. Justy. Um, uh, I'm looking at the participant list as all panelists always have the ability to do. And I, I do see some hands raised that are not the individuals who were identified by Mr. Justy. Um, to those folks, just wanna let you know, you will have time to be heard during public comment, um, but you, you won't be being called on as part of the presentation of evidence here, given the uh, witness list that was provided by uh, Mr. Justy, and there will be an opportunity for public comment before deliberations on uh, on this complaint. Commissioner Montgomery, I see your hand is still raised. Any further business here? Okay. All right, um, Madam Clerk, with that, if you feel you've got the list of, uh, of witnesses provided by Mr. Justy, I think we can go forward with uh, setting the two-minute clock and um, hearing from these witnesses. Okay. Oh, Commissioner Canberra. I may have misunderstood. Our are we going to take these violations individually and hear witness testimony on each one of the violations? That's That was not my intention. My intention was to two minutes for the evidence they want to submit with respect to the full complaint. Um, you know, I think if we, otherwise we're looking at possibly 12 people, Time's five spot. claims, uh, well, yeah, I guess the uh, yeah, I mean, justice rules can are already stated. Justice can be confusing at times, but I think it's going to be confusing not only for me personally, but for the public to be able to decide. We have five different violations, and we're going to be taking from one witness evidence on potentially all five. I'm not sure I can yep. keep track oh. and sort that out. Let Let me uh, perhaps provide some clarification if we need to. We are going to have, I think it's anywhere from five to eight or so witnesses that were identified by Mr. Justy. They'll be sharing whatever it is they have to share about this complaint, which may be facts related to any of the five subclaims within the complaint. Um, good news, Commissioner Canberra, to the extent as a decision maker, you have further questions of any of these witnesses, we are able to question the witnesses. And so I think we need to do that in a thoughtful way um, to keep things streamlined today, but uh, we as decision makers on the commission are, are able to gather further evidence during the commissioner questioning period that is necessary to inform our decision, uh, but I'm not inclined to extend the presentation of evidence to the point that we're quadrupling the basic procedural rules that the complainant who is represented by an attorney um, had access to prior to the hearing. Okay, I think it's still gonna be confusing. Let's try our best and we'll see where we're at um, after we have this additional, uh, you know, potentially 10 or 12 minutes of presentation of evidence. And um, we will uh, see how things are moving along, especially as we move into commissioner questioning, I think we'll be able to enlighten ourselves about any, any gaps in information. I'm going to ask this one quick question. Do you want me to have them be panelists so they're viewed, or do you want me to just um, allow them to speak? What's your preference? My preference would have been <laughs> for the parties to have sorted this out before the hearing, but here we go. Um, I, I don't know to what extent people, they were planning to speak in public comments, so I would say let's stick with that format. It's faster, too. It works better. Okay. Okay. 
I'll do uh, John Healy, John Brennan, and then Hale Foot, and then we can see if they want more after those three, right? Because that was the main three. Uh, I think Margaret Hall was also in that list of the first okay. four, and then okay. possibly Carmen Reed and Matt Reed. Um, those are the two extra. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay. We'll start with John Healy and unmute him. Yep. Welcome, okay. Speaker Healy. Thank you for thank you. for joining and speaking. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. And thank you, Madam Chair, for doing the, the do work that you're doing for the keeping it under time. I appreciate that. Um, my particular item was that I had my hand up, I, in waiting for my time to speak, listening to the process. And as soon as the, the last speaker came on, my hand disappeared. It was gone. I wrote an email, which I talked about, but I didn't see it in the evidence immediately to the city clerk at 10.01 p.m. saying, hey, I didn't get heard. What happened? Why the hand go down? Second, city council members did bring that up that hands were up and they didn't get heard. And it was a snap judgment when it was made. I ask you to go look at the tape. It's taped. Listen to it. Listen to the process. I will keep my other comments to um, Mr. Roush in public speaking, but I also did see the change of the information because it was brought up during comments. Why wasn't it all loaded? And then it came back and it disappeared and it was reloaded. So during the meeting, all of a sudden, the rest of the documents got loaded. I don't blame the city clerk. I know it's a tough thing to do, but thank you. Thank you, Speaker Healy. And Madam Clerk, who do we have next? John Brennan. Thank you, commissioners. Uh, I want to echo Mr. Healy's comments about the public uh, uh, comment uh, time. Um, I raised my hand before the mayor closed off public debate, um, and it was not recognized. Trish Rare Spencer, who submitted a affidavit to the uh, committee on this, um, also saw that and tried to raise it as soon as she could after the mayor stopped speaking. Uh, but that was uh, that did not result in uh, any of us being able to speak. I also witnessed the irregularities in the public correspondence at around two o'clock. <clears throat> there were about 30 pages of public correspondence. Um, I went back in around four o'clock and it was down to one page, Mr. Garfinkel's comments. And then after that, um, uh, it, it, when Matt Reed raised uh, the issue in uh, public comment, uh, the, the, the full correspondence went back up sometime after 9.30, maybe about 10 o'clock. And finally, I wanna talk about the clarity of the October 18th council meeting agenda regarding Grand Street. At the October 6th Bike Walk Alameda candidate forum, I heard Mayor Ashcraft state at the October 18th city council meeting that at that meeting, she would ask the council to reconsider the Grand Street question at the next council meeting on November 1st. But when I reviewed the October 18th council agenda, I didn't see an agenda item about this. So on October 12th, I emailed the city clerk, Laura Weisinger as follows. Quick question, trying to find the Grand Street repaving project on the agenda. The uh, mayor Ashcraft said it would be on the agenda, but I can't find it. Please let me know if I'm missing something. And Laura responded back. It's item 5I on the, uh, on the October 18th agenda, which by the way is the consent calendar, not really a discussion area. Um, and she directed me to that. So I appreciated Laura providing the clarification, but uh, it did not speak to any discussion of reconsidering the Grand Street decision. Um, and was on the consent calendar. So unless it was pulled, it even not, uh, would not even have gotten a discussion. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, Speaker Brennan. Madam Clerk, who's next? Hale Foote. 
Alvin. I'm not sure. Welcome, Speaker Flip. Thank you. I hate on that house. It's anyway, fine. Uh, I and I, I don't need full two minutes. Uh, I was also one of the four citizens who were denied a chance to speak at the November first uh, meeting, uh, and I've spoken to the council over Zoom before, and I know the procedure. I know how to do it, but it, it, it didn't work this time. Um, how do I know there were four of us? Well, Councilmember Knox White in his statement for this meeting says, yeah, I looked at the list and I had kept the list open on my screen. I saw four attendees who had decided to speak last. They were not called upon. So he saw we wanted to speak. I mean, why would he play this game of gotcha? We've all been on many city council Zoom meetings where someone has trouble connecting and the helpful clerk gives advice on how to connect or gives a telephone number to call in or she waits. She waits until they connect. It's helpful until the speaker finally connects. And that's how the democratic process should work. You know, let the people be heard, open government. That didn't happen on November 1st. We didn't have a chance to speak. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Foot. And the last is um, Margaret Hall. Welcome, Speaker Hall. Good evening, members of the Open Government Commission and, and Laura, thanks for, for listening to this. And, and then, uh, obviously my name is Margaret Hall and I'm one of the Zoom participants at the November 1st council meeting who did not get a chance to speak, or speak regarding item 7F. I'm gonna to speak to, to both things actually, the correspondence and that, because I kind of did a little narrative. When I arrived home from work around 5.30 on November 1st, I logged into the city of Alameda website to view the council agenda and particularly the public correspondence regarding item 7F on which I plan to speak. I routinely read the public correspondence as I work on that, um, but by, I read it and work on what I'd like to say at the, at the meeting that evening. I was surprised to only find one letter from Jay Garfinkel available. I was sure it had to had to be more because this was quite a controversial item. <clears throat> I wrote down what I planned to say and didn't think about it again until Carmen Reed brought it up during her turn to speak. So I realized it wasn't just me or user error on my part. Next, I raised my hand after Matt Reed spoke as Marilyn asked for the next speaker. When the city clerk said Matt Reed was our last speaker, I was shocked. I had somewhat been waiting for John Brennan to speak before I raised my hand and was surprised we hadn't heard from him yet. Shortly after, Councilwoman Spencer said that people had contacted her about having their hand up <clears throat> and not getting acknowledged to speak. And I was one of them. I, I appreciate you guys, you know, reviewing this, this really thoroughly. And I, I realize it's, it's a lot of hearsay, but, but I, <laughs> I went through the trouble of composing what I wanted to say and everything. And, and a lot of times, honestly, Laura, you say, um, um, and that was our last speaker before they, or that was our last speaker before they even talk. And we have a little bit of a chance. And then you're like, oh, here go the hands. But we didn't have that chance. Thank you. about that on mute. Thank you, Speaker Hall. Um, Madam Clerk, I'm looking at our attendee list and um, I know our other possible witnesses were Carmen Reed, Matt Reed, 
Carmen just raised her hand. All right, let's welcome another witness. Welcome speaker Reed. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Um, good evening, Chair Lopalato and commissioners. It's, it's so nice to see you all again. I was one of the speakers on November 1st, and I noticed that the record of correspondence for the meeting was not fully available to the public prior to the meeting, with the exception of one letter um, by Mr. Garfinkel, as I checked several times before the start of the meeting and during the meeting. In fact, I brought it up during public discussion and then miraculous, miraculously, was, it was corrected within minutes in real time during the meeting without addressing the fact that it had been missing. I personally recorded screen captures with timestamps of this evidence. It was not a stale PDF as the city attorney has mentioned. And, I, and if, if I am asked, I will also attest to this in a sworn statement. Um, so with that, I also want to, uh, to bring this to your attention that there also appears to be a similar issue tonight um, on the open government agenda. And I have sent a recorded video to the clerk for your review. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Reed. And we'll give another couple seconds out of an abundance of caution, if there are any other witnesses to speak. Seeing none of the names identified by uh, Mr. Justy with their hands raised. Um, I see other hands raised. We will get to them during public comment, but for now we are cabining ourselves under our procedural rules to the presentation of evidence from the parties. Uh, so with that, I think um, well within time limits, uh, I think we are able to move into our commissioner questioning of parties and witnesses now. Um, after that, we'll allow our parties two minutes for uh, closing statements before we open up the public comments and um, subsequently move to deliberations and findings likely after a recess. Um, but first, uh, we have our time for commissioner questioning of parties and witnesses. Um, I am realizing a slight, another irregularity we may need to address here to the extent there are questions uh, related to items in the clerk's office. Uh, I guess we'll direct those through Mr. Rausch first and he will uh, decide when to hand it over to Madam Clerk. Um, <laughs> the unique nature of a small city government. And uh, let's see if we can, um, commissioners, try to get as many of our clarifying questions out to the parties uh, and or these witnesses who have just spoken um, to get whatever, you know, whatever further information you feel you need um, for deliberations. Uh, we'll attempt to do this all at one time now. We have five minutes per commissioner for this. Um, I'm inclined to bring the complainant in for uh, questions first, but often I think we've found in the past that sometimes we have to ping pong between the parties during this questioning. So um, unless there's a strong preference to keep it set to questions to complainant and then questions to respondent, I am open to bringing uh, both parties represented through attorneys into the room and um, each commissioner can take their five minutes talking to either party. 
I see nods from Commissioner Canberra. I see nods from Commissioner Montgomery. I don't see any hands waving. Okay, nods all around, great. Um, all right, Madam Clerk, uh, if that works procedurally on your end, I'd say let's bring in Mr. Justy and Mr. Rausch. All right, Mr. Rausch, Mr. Justy, thank you for joining us again. Um, in case you weren't able to hear any of that, we're going to have five minutes per commissioner uh, for questioning of the parties and witnesses. And um, then you will get an opportunity for closing statements as well uh, before we open to deliberations or public comment and deliberations. So with that, um, commissioners, who would like to begin with your questions for the parties? I see Vice Chair Chen's hand up right away, Vice Chair Chen. I have a very simple question. The uh, first meeting on October 4th was the first of two meetings to confirm an ordinance. Is that correct? Uh, well, for purposes of, of our open government com committee complaint or uh, open sunshine ordinance complaint, uh, we're focused on the decision to approve the specifics of the Grand Street improvement project um that that's really from what it flowed um there were numerous uh workshops discussions council meetings about different proposals for how to structure the plan and a vote was taken and it focuses on whether there are going to be protected bike lanes which eliminate on-street parking or an alternative uh, that was considered and approved that did not have the protected bike lanes with a physical barrier and uh, that uh, also uh, the physical barrier would have eliminated all the on-street parking on Grand Street. That's that's really the, the focus of the October 4th uh, decision that was made that then uh, we've taken exception to efforts to revisit that decision. In, in response to your actual question, there was, uh, it was not an ordinance. It was simply uh, a council action, but there was no first or second reading with respect to the matter. So, so it was just, you're just saying it was just a hearing. Well, there no, was, there was, was action taken on, there was action taken on October 4th, but it was not the introduction of an ordinance that you might see where there's an introduction and then a second reading two weeks later. That wasn't the situation with respect to this particular project. I That's see. Correct. So the, so that vote was a binding vote. Uh, it, it, in well, our opinion, it was clearly a binding vote. I mean, I think, yeah, when you say binding, the answer is no, it was not binding. It was an action taken by council, um, but it was not something that was binding on any future council. The matter could be uh, revisited if new information came to light, which it did. And, my and I noticed only three council members were present. Um, Vice Chair Chen and just commissioners in general, if, if you can each direct your question to one party and then the other, I think that might help the parties okay. um, not talk over each other, potentially interrupting <laughs> each other, which is all a very natural conversational thing to do, but um, to the extent possible, especially if it's a question for both, feel free to ask your question again to each side. So uh, city attorney Royce, uh, the, there was only three council members present at that October 4th meeting, is that correct? You know, I was not present at that meeting. Um, uh, I don't know that there were, if there were a full council, it would surprise me if there wasn't, but uh, I, I don't know offhand, maybe the city clerk could, uh, 
could uh, answer that question better than I could. The three council members were present at the end of the discussion. Uh, it had started with a full council, but um, it, it did end with just three council members there at the end of the meeting because two members had left. Thank you. Any other questions, Vice Chair Chen? You have more time, so we can always come back to you if more questions uh, come to mind. Uh, did I see Commissioner Canberra with a light hand raised there? All right, Commissioner Canberra. And if you can direct your questions to, to one party than the other, that's ideal. Uh, yes, so um, Attorney Justy, I'm gonna ask the same question to both, but you have the floor first. Technology failures, the evidence that we've heard so far, the presentations may indicate that everybody did and said what they did. And yet there was a technology failure and how would we be addressing something like that in regards to a violation? Well, I, I think that the bedrock principle is public participation and we've all had to make adjustments in light of COVID circumstances, including these Zoom meetings. And because of the importance of public input and communication and transparency in government, if there are these technical problems, and particularly when, uh, as you heard from some of the speakers, they were raised in real time at the time. And uh, I, I think that if there's a uh, violation that was caused by technical problems, that that's not a, an excuse and does not uh, uh, mean that the rules don't have to be followed if the violation happens because of technical reasons. Um, I'd also, I'd like to point out that this didn't happen in a vacuum, um, that there, there, there was a history here that led up to that November 1st problem, which may or may not have been a technical problem. Um, and uh, given that history, I think that the even if it's, quote unquote, just a technical problem, it lends more gravity to the nature of that problem. Okay. Thank you. And Attorney Rausch. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Canberra. Um, I'm not aware that there was a technical problem. I think the declaration from the city clerk that has been given to this commission indicates with respect to the raised hand issue um, that those raised hands did not come in until after the mayor had closed the public comment period. There isn't anything to suggest on that video uh, that it was rushed or that it was hurried, uh, that she mentioned very clearly, uh, are there more speakers? And the city clerk is looking at her screen. Um, I don't have any reason to think that she's making it up that there were no hands raised on the screen when she said there were no more speakers. So I don't see where there's a technological issue. Similarly, with respect to the correspondence, again, the city clerk is very clear that she updated the uh, agenda each time that correspondence came in. Uh, in fact, it came, the last correspondence came in at about three o'clock in the afternoon. She updated it at 425. Um, it isn't clear why perhaps some members weren't getting that information, but it wasn't because of a technological failing on the part of the city clerk or the city itself. So, um, 
you know, so I, I, I don't think I can accept the fact that there were technological issues here uh, that caused this particular problem. Um, the information was out there and therefore no problem and there and so there was no violation so I'm I'm not sure what remedy there would be since there doesn't seem to be any violation in the first instance. Uh, so let me give you a more concrete example then or a, poss a possibility a suggested possibility that the people that said they raised their hands actually did raise their hands prior to the closing of the meeting. And those hands, though, did not appear because of a time delay, internet connection, whatever it would be, so that in this case, the mayor would have closed the public comment, started on her comments, and then these three or four hands pop up. So maybe not technologically as in something failed, technologically in the sense that it just took some time to get there. Both parties are technically right, or the witnesses are both right. They hit their hands at the right time, they all popped up, but there was a delay. So that's kind of what I, you know, we're asked to be a fact finder in this, and that's one of the examples I look and I find both to be extremely credible. I think there has to be closure with respect to any matter that the city council is looking at. And um, it is only fair for the city council when it comes to a point at their deliberations where there are no more public speakers that can be identified for the council to say, okay, we're gonna close this and move on. The council had heard from a number of different people concerning the issue. Uh, it, had, it had nine pieces of correspondence concerning the issue. It isn't as if the council was not well informed about what the issues were. Certainly that doesn't mean that people who wanted to be heard and were timely shouldn't have been heard, but you know, at some point there needs to be closure and the council followed its own rules and procedures with respect to that. And, and therefore it's, it's you know, assuming that those people did do it timely, but it didn't get through. That's an unfortunate situation with the whole Zoom and meeting remotely, but I don't think that's warranting, that would not warrant the, uh, the cure or correct for the council to have to go back and redo this again. Okay, thank you. See, Mr. I think Mr. Justy has his. Uh, Commissioner Camber, the, the floor is yours if you wanna pose a question uh, yes. to the other party. Did you wanna quickly, quickly respond? Yes, um, I, you know, through the miracle of technology, I'm uh, texting in real time with John Brennan and he advises that the clerk never asked whether there were any more speakers um, and that that didn't occur, which uh, I, I addresses sort of that issue. Um, I'd also like to say we agree that there's got to be finality, but that's the principle that applied on October 4th. But uh, this procedure for how debate was cut off on this was different than it should have been. And Mr. Brennan advises that the clerk never did that, you know, kind of going once, going twice, going thrice. Is there, are there any other speakers? It was, that was the last speaker and the door was closed. I see. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Tilos, I see your hand raised. You can go forward with any uh, questions. A uh, question for Mr. Ralph. Um, in your statement, you talked about a possible stale 
PDF when in regards to more correspondence being posted. Maybe I'm not understanding that correctly or I, I don't get how stale PDF happens here. Because, and let me just give you my quick example. I'm at the Open Government Commission um, you know, doc, um, document for tonight. I go to a hyperlink, not a PDF, for 2022-645. It brings us up to another page, which lists the correspondence, and those are all hyperlinks. So nowhere in this process am I looking at a PDF until I finally click on a hyperlink that would bring me up to the actual document. So I don't, I'm not understanding the defense or the usage of this term stale PDF. And perhaps I could ask the city clerk to have to perhaps explain it better than I could, because obviously it's her office that, you know, that, uh, is familiar with the technology and how it's updated and how there could be a stale or old PDF out there that people perhaps were accessing rather than the one that had been updated most recently, if that would be a, a, okay with the yeah, chair yeah, to, to do I that. see how PDF comes into this at all when I'm pulling up this agenda. I get to link to link, then finally PDF. So the intermediary layer between that is not a PDF, it's a hyperlink. Commissioner Tilos, I think Madam Clerk will be able to probably fairly quickly explain how the PDFs turn into links and how that magic all happens yeah. or doesn't yeah. happen sometimes. Yeah, so I think one of the problems is, is that sometimes um, individuals are emailed the agenda from other people or sometimes they download the agenda onto their computer. And therefore, when the um, new agendas are or go out with the correspondence and the new correspondence is added, they still are using that old version of a PDF and therefore they do not get the newest links. We've had that happen before, even in open government okay, commission so they're, they're meeting where somebody said that. Links, not necessarily old PDFs. They're getting the old agenda. Which in a PDF. For link, which is not a PDF. Instead of going to the active website version. Aha. Uh -huh. I could see how that could happen. Yeah. Thank you. And I want to go to Commissioner Montgomery, but while we're on this exact topic and Madam Clerk is answering questions along these lines, um, is it sometimes the case that the cache, I know I've had this issue where like if I don't clear the cache in my browser, even if I'm accessing it from the website, sometimes I'm still seeing older versions. Did I imagine that? Or can you also just quickly speak to that yes. sort of technological phenomenon that goes on with the yes, system. Yes, that does occur. And I love it when the public tells me that it occurs. So please email me, let me know. I really appreciate um, the help and the extra eyes because as soon as I um, hear that that has problem and somebody's having a caching problem, I will re-push the agenda out and sometimes it will help clear those caching issues. And so, um, you know, it sometimes it's just a matter of, uh, unfortunately, you know, I don't know what, I'm not very good and technically savvy at that, but I have seen that work for people at times. So it's one of the tricks that I use um, to try and help them to get to be able to see it. The other thing I will do is gladly just email it directly to them or um, send them new and improved links. So um, I'm always trying to make sure that they get the information and, and anybody who lets me know. And in fact, somebody during the meeting of um, November 1st did email me and I responded and provided to him and refreshed it. And I think that's what fixed the caching issue. 
Okay. And um, Commissioner Tilas, I, I want to get over to Commissioner Montgomery. Did you have, I see Mr. Justy has his hand raised potentially in response to one of your questions. Did you want to direct yours to both parties? If, if Mr. Justy wants a response to that, um, yes, that'd be fine. My, my answer is was, was answered, but if you'd like to comment, Mr. Justy, please. Yeah, um, my clients went directly to the link. Um, they weren't being emailed uh, a PDF copy of the agenda or uh, uh, some other mechanism. They went directly to the link and were uh, viewing as updated uh, a version as was possible. Thank you. All right, Commissioner Montgomery, thank you for your patience. The floor is yours for questioning. No problem. I just, I only have, I think, one question for um, Attorney Justy. Um, do, do you know that all of the claimants, all of your clients live in the neighborhood where, I'm talking about specifically claim number one, so all of the clients that are, that, you know, the claimants here, are they all in that neighborhood? Uh, I, I, to be honest, I can't say uh, that every single one of them uh, is in that neighborhood. Um, many of them are actual Grant, Grand Street residents, and that's the concern um, that, uh, I mean, you know, there's no secret that uh, the, the plan that was adopted uh, uh, on October 4th preserved street parking for them, and that's one of the reasons they were so involved in this and the changed plan, um, which, I mean, we have a lot to say about that, but you know, that's, this isn't the forum for the new plan um, about whether it's safer or less safe. Um, but uh, they, they have a direct interest and are impacted directly by this. One of my clients is also disabled, lives on uh, Grand Street, and this is gonna affect her ability to have access and care providers and disabled uh, transportation accessing uh, her home. Um, so they are, uh, the, the overwhelming majority of them either live on uh, uh, Grand Street or are directly affected by this in some fashion. Thank you. I actually thought of one more question I have for you. Um, somewhere in your presentation, um, you made mention of an email that was sent on October 31st. Uh, it's actually a, a letter that was sent on October 31st, um, and it is in the materials that were submitted uh, by me uh, for consideration uh, in this matter. Um, so, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, no, I, 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 was, I was just looking on my desk for the actual letter. Um, it's uh, this. <laughs> um, so, so I guess my question is if there was an email sent to the city council regarding what somebody felt was um, a break in procedure, a violation of the Brown or Sunshine Act, do, do we know why there was an email sent to the city council rather than immediately opening the complaint? Um, well, uh, partly because of the ripeness issue, um, the October 31st, letter um it, it it's um uh, it was sent in anticipation of that november 1st vote and pointing out that look the whole procedural history leading up to this vote is flawed and quite frankly illegal um and once that vote was in fact taken on november 1st um strictly speaking that's when 
the issue became ripe for adjudication. Prior to that, it's kind of a no harm, no foul. And if the October 31st letter um, got traction and the, the council said, well, actually, yeah, we shouldn't be doing this, um, or we shouldn't at least be taking an actual vote on changing the project. I mean, we can consider new information and what we're going to do with that, but we can't go outside of either the Brown Act, the Sunshine Ordinance, or the Rosenberg rules. Then it's kind of a moot issue what happened at the October uh, uh, 18th hearing. Um, but once that vote was was made and the project was in fact fundamentally changed despite no public notice that that's what was going to happen, then that issue then became ripe. And it's in response to the city's uh, assertion that this is time barred that, well, actually, if you want to look at the procedural history in that October 31st letter, the city was put on actual notice that my clients had complaints about this. Um, so to the extent that the city is raising a statute of limitations issue, essentially, um, it, it's our position that the city did have notice of it on a timely basis. Once they took the vote and the issue became ripe for adjudication, then within the 15-day limit, we brought in all of the complaints. Okay, thank you. Mr. Montgomery, I see Mr. Rausch has his hand up as well. Did you want to direct a question or opportunity to respond to him, or would you like to move forward with other questions? Yes, if, if he, if, I'd like to hear from Andy for it as a response. Thank you. Um, with respect to the to the time bar, the the fact is the allegation has to do with what the agenda item was on October eighteenth, and. Um, that's what the issue is. And they're saying that the agenda item was not adequately described under the Sunshine Ordinance. And if that was the case, then regardless of whether the council took action or did anything on November 1st, uh, there was an obligation to file the claim or the complaint timely. Uh, the, the argument they make is simply, for example, if you have a statute of limitations where you have to file uh, within a certain time period in court, just because you notify the, the, the complainant or the defendant that you're going to file something doesn't, doesn't toll the statute of limitations. Uh, you have an obligation under the Sunshine Ordinance itself to meet that timeline, and that timeline connects to whatever the allegations are with the complaint. And the complaint was, the complaint is, with respect to that particular item, that the agenda description wasn't adequate for what the council did on October 18th. First of all, we think it, it was because under that, uh, under that item, the council had the discretion, for example, to ask for a matter to be brought back at a future agenda. That was permissible. But leaving that issue aside, there was still the obligation that the complaint had to be filed with the Open Government Commission within the 15-day period, not some broad generalization about the city being on notice. Thank you. Commissioner yeah. Mon no. Montgomery, did you have any other questions at this time? Not at this time. Thank you. Okay. Um, may I may I respond to those comments by Mr. Roche? That's up to Commissioner Montgomery. Your question was live. Um, do you feel like you're you've got a satisfactory amount of information, I, or do you want? I feel like I'm I'm good. Unless you have something else to say that's not that I haven't heard, I feel like those those answers were both adequate for me. No, thank you, Commissioner. 
All right. Um, I'll take a, a pause in hearing from the other commissioners and I'll ask a few questions myself. Um, and then obviously no one's exhausted their time. So if other commissioners have questions, we can uh, hear from other folks. Um, so just so it's very clear kind of in our record here, um, Mr. Justy, uh, since it sounds like there was some confusion over what the October 31st submission was, do I have it correct that the October 31st sort of objection letter that you've referred to is attached as the first item to um, what's under our agenda as complainant's response to respondent's position statement, but it's, it's your letter of December 6th. Is that correct? And then it has attachments to it, one of which is an October 31st letter to council members, various city staff. Um, that, that's correct. It was submitted at that time. And, and again, if that November 1st vote was never taken, then the issue becomes moot. Um, but we did raise the issue within 15 days of the actual agenda. But frankly, I don't think we needed to because it wasn't until November 1st when the improper vote was taken that was improperly placed on the agenda that it became ripe for adjudication and a complaint which we then raised uh, including the what we consider to be a continuing violation from the october 18th issue but until the november 1st vote was taken the issue was premature vis-a-vis -vis the october 18th agenda item Okay. And the, the Sunshine Ordinance complaint was then filed on November 14th. We don't have any dispute about that. That's timing. correct. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, belt and, I mean, I look at it as belt and suspenders. Uh, maybe we didn't need both, but you got both. <laughs> so um, we think that the city's position that it was time barred is, is incorrect for both of those reasons. Okay. Thank you. Um, on, uh, this is also for you, Mr. Justy. Uh, for claim number one related to the written correspondence, um, I'm wondering if you can point me to where in the Sunshine Ordinance you see where you are hooking the requirement for written correspondence to be you know, posted contemporaneously with a general agenda topic um, in a city council meeting. Um, and I see this, I see that this, there's a citation to Sunshine Ordinance Section 2 right, 91.6, yeah. but um, it seems like the thrust of the, the arguments around that are, um, I'm, not, I'm not seeing the, let, the let statutory me, uh, hook there. Grab the um, Sunshine Ordinance itself, if I can find my copy of it quickly. Here we go. Um, there, there is language that, um, Yeah, th this is 2-91.5E. Uh, All documents material to a matter anticipated for discussion or consideration or the proposed action of agenda item must accompany the agenda. Um, so that's that's certainly one area and obviously public comment and public correspondence about a matter on the agenda um, uh, would be material to the matter anticipated for discussion. Um, and I think thought that there was a, another 
section that also, um, uh, you could also look at kind of the overall, uh, uh, and this is section 2.990.1, the goal of the Sunshine Ordinance. Um, uh, it says an informed public is essential to democracy. It is the goal of the ordinance to ensure that the citizens of Alameda have timely access to information, which I think would capture that concept, opportunities to address the various legislative bodies prior to decisions being made, and easy and timely access to all public records. And any correspondence to the city about a matter on the agenda would be part of the public record. And the very goal of it, of the Sunshine Ordinance, is to provide that easy and timely access to all public records. And it's our position that timely access means that the public has a meaningful opportunity to review it and formulate uh, a response or position with respect to that information. So I think at least those two, the general overall goal and that specific section that the documents must be accompanying the agenda would capture um, the requirement to post that material. Okay, thank you. Um, I've got a couple follow-ups on that. Um, so neither of those are the section that's actually cited in the Sunshine Ordinance complaint on this claim, which is generating some follow-up questions for me. So I appreciate your, your patience with that. Um, but playing out, tying these facts to 2-91.5, for instance, E, um, you know, the documents must be accompany the agenda. How, how do you anticipate that operating in instances where, like we have in this complaint, also like we have before our hearing tonight, correspondence is submitted within hours of a meeting? Um, is, is it your position that the city would be in violation of these ordinance sections if correspondence from members of the public wasn't automatically or contemporaneously updated? Is there a time window that feels reasonable here? I'm trying to understand like sort of the contours of complainant's position in a world where we don't have a static amount of information coming in before an agenda is posted. Well, I, I, um, uh, I, I can't give you a, you know, within uh, 30 minutes, within 45 minutes, but I, I think that based on the actual experience here, um, there was a period of several hours where information was not accessible on the website. And wherever the actual cutoff point is, several hours is well past it. Um, like for instance, this evening, there was uh, there, there was updated information that was coming in and it, it appears to have been posted uh, fairly contemporaneously with it, its receipt. I'm assuming uh, that that's, that was the timeline, but the circumstances of this situation were that several hours passed when this information was not available and then uh, became available even though it had been in the city's possession for uh, certainly long enough to be promptly uh, uh, uploaded and accessible to the public. Okay, thank you. Um, and just so I can further understand kind of the contours of the claim here, are the complainants asserting that council members did not have access to written correspondence or is the complaint as it appears to be in the written complaint focused on the lack of publication well it's it's focused on the lack of publication um 
And without questioning individual council members, um, I'm, I'm not sure what they were looking at. Um, they may have had access to, you know, for instance, hard copy of documents or something like that. Um, but uh, one of the things that the city attorney comments is that the, um, uh, and I'll, I'll quote this because it really kind of struck me, um, is that, uh, let's see, where is it? The fundamental purpose of this section is to ensure that the decision makers have received written comments. And that's not the fundamental purpose. That is a purpose of it. But if that were the fundamental purpose, there would be no requirement of posting it. An equally fundamental purpose is that members of the public can review it or not. And I also think that there's sort of a logical flaw in the city attorney's position that no council member said that they didn't have access to written comments. Well, if something's not posted, how do you know you don't have access to something you should have access to? Um, but uh, so what? in response to your question, I don't know whether the council members had or had not access to it. The fact that they have not said they didn't have access doesn't really prove the point. But our the focus of our complaint is on the fact that this was required to be readily accessible on a timely basis to the public, and it was not. Okay, thanks. Um... Yeah, and I, I also understand that the, the material was up and then taken down, which is another, uh, goes to your point about, you know, well, how promptly should it be posted? Well, certainly it shouldn't be taken down. Um, and that was part of the of the complaint that it was up and then it was down and then it got reposted again. And that's not what's supposed to happen, even given some latitude for updating this stuff in real time. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I have a, a question to Madam Clerk about that, which, uh, or I'll direct it to you, Mr. Rausch, if you need to bring in Madam Clerk, uh, feel free. When written material comes down, from the agenda. Um, my observations as a panelist commissioner checking on things is that it seems like sometimes the PDF is consolidated to include multiple items of correspondence into the agenda item. And I'm wondering if that is a reason why a volume of material might be taken down and then reposted, or if that's not the practice at all. That's my understanding, but I'll certainly uh, defer to uh, Madam Clerk to confirm that, but that's my understanding as to why that there would be that kind of taken down and back up. The, the only reason why it's ever taken down and back up, usually it's simply replaced. And um, if somebody tells me they've had a problem, I'll sometimes actually remove the document and add it back again like at the same time, I'll never leave it down for a period of time or any like anything like that. What I will do is I will just take it down and replace it if it's like been glitching for somebody. And then that way, when it's re-uploaded, hopefully it helps solve the problem. But I don't take it, put it up and down and up and down. It stays posted um, continuously, unless a brief moment I have to swap it. Okay, thank you. Um... The October 18th agenda item, um, can someone just confirm into evidence, Mr. Rash, I'll go to you, that it was pulled from the consent calendar and discussion was had on that item? That's correct. Okay. Um, Mr. Justy, a question to you. Are there individuals in your group of clients or who signed on to the complaint who did not participate in the October 18th meeting? 
Uh, I believe that they may not. There, there were, to be honest, I'm, I'm not sure of this. I know that there is a, obviously, sort of a core group of people that I'm interfacing with, but I haven't uh, um, uh, surveyed every one of my clients to ascertain whether or not they didn't participate. Um, there, there was some participation, but, you know, quite frankly, I, uh, you know, whether or not they participated uh, does not excuse a failure to adequately describe the agenda item. Um, you know, it's the, the rules are very specific. The law is very clear. And it's not a, well, if you knew about it, then it's okay kind of situation. But I don't know whether there were uh, individuals of uh, uh, approximately two dozen clients of mine that for whatever reason didn't participate. Thank you. Um, this is a question to Mr. Rausch, possibly also to Madam Clerk. With written correspondence, is the practice to forward items to council members if they were not previously copied, or is the only way that a council member might receive notice of an item of public correspondence by viewing it on the posted agenda? I have an understanding, but I'm sure the, the clerk could, can be more specific in terms of how that uh, information is communicated to the council. Sure. Um, so if it's if it's like the day of the meeting and it's it's late and you know closer to the meeting time, or if it comes in during the meeting, just to me, and I, I get a chance to see it in my email, I will immediately forward it to the council um, so that it's not withheld from them and that they can see it as soon as possible. Whether or not they're able to see it during the meeting when it comes in that late, I I don't ever know. Um, but the practice is, is uh, when it comes as it comes in and it's posted regularly, um, the council members you know can view it in as the attachments and and they typically you know know to re-download the um, agenda if they've downloaded it, you know, to, to get the updated correspondence. Thank you. Um, I'll be looking around at other commissioners if anybody wants to jump in with other questions. Commissioner Tilos, I have some more to close it out, but go ahead, Commissioner Tilos. Yeah, just um, to clarify, so maybe Madam Clerk, you can answer this. I'm looking at the example of our agenda right here and it lists all the attachments. So we have, you know, correspondence from John Knox White, correspondence from Councilmember Member Spencer, that says correspondence update 1219. So in that last correspondence file, is that the open file where you put like all the letters? So for example, in the case where you, for this complaint, you had correspondence that you received prior to, then you posted it, then you, receive some more afterwards do you just add it to that old one that would be the correspondence with the date then so there's no like like right now in our agenda it goes one through seven so number seven is where all the correspondence is and all you do is just keep adding to that one right yes um so what i do is i always put the um correspondence as it comes in the most recent is at the top so that people don't have to go to the bottom to to look for it and so you can always see the newest one is always going to be um right at the top and since the commissioners don't have um ipads and receive the packet and aren't into you know downloading it you guys do it in a different way than the council i also emailed um the commission and um both sides both parties in this um every bit of course Correspondence when it was updated to today, just just for this yes. particular meeting. Yeah, so I understand that well because anytime we get correspondence for our meeting, 
It's all throughout the day. It's a separate email. But for the public who's not getting these emails, they would just go to, in this case, item number seven. And that's where they would have to check and say, hey, oh, well, at one point in time, I only saw one letter, 945 that night. Now I see all seven or 10 of the letters. Uh, that's what could be the case. But then like earlier you said, it's like, hey, if they're in their browser at a specific point in time and they didn't refresh that piece, they could still be going to the old. And yeah. that's that one is an old PDF. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that even tonight, um, I, I had two people tell me that they couldn't, they, one piece of the correspondence wasn't even showing up, a new one that I had added the correspondence from um, Councilmember Horace Spencer. And um, so I sent them to the, the best way I always try and send people who are having any connectivity issues and not being able to see it is I send them into the agenda database into the meeting details tab of the meeting and directly to the staff report itself and all of the exhibits are, are there even if they're having technical issues of looking at it another way so I did help two people tonight that were having problems with that and I also because this issue was so prevalent pre prevalent with this item I updated the event um, on the open government page to provide a direct link to that I, the meeting tab for this item so people could go directly there from the event tab um, for this item because I heard about the problem. Okay, so yeah, just trying to figure out the whole flow of this. So it looks like, you know, for a person, uh, and, you know, I'm sure the people who are trying to access this is, are more savvy than I myself, but there could be some of this technological stuff going on. And as Ms. Commissioner Campbell brought up, hey, both sides were right. It was there, but maybe you didn't see it. And that's a true statement, but you did see it because you put it up there and that's a true statement. And that's maybe the unfortunate piece that's happening here is people are seeing different versions, but both are versions of the truth. Okay, thanks for clarifying. Commissioner Canberra, I see your hand up. Uh, yes. Further questions? Thank you. Yes. Um, so, Mr. Jesse, I want to just, I did not catch the citation that you gave to us for um, violation number one that requires the written comments to be posted before the meeting. Could you give me that citation again, please? For the uh, certainly. The ordinance? Um, it's, uh, as, as a general proposition, it's in 2.90.1 which refers to providing easy and timely access to all public records. And the other section was 2-91.5E, uh, um, all documents uh, material to a matter must accompany the agenda. Um, okay, does, because I had a notation here, so I was asking, does 2 96 C, um, apply to this case? Uh, it, yeah, it does. Actually, um, I had mentioned that I thought there was something else more specific, but that is the section. I, I do believe it. Uh, that also squarely hits it. Um, uh, written comments regarding the subject will be made part of the official public record. 
um, in the prod in the that the comments will be brought to the attention of the person or persons conducting the public meeting or hearing. Okay, great. Thank you. That clarifies that. Um, Commissioner Camper, I'm wondering if you have a similar follow-up question to the one I might have. Did you have a further question on that topic? I, you know, I'm going to let you follow up on that one. Let's keep the flow going for this specific topic. So yes, go ahead. I have other questions, but if you have one to elaborate on that, please go ahead. Great. Sort of a, a sub-question to Commissioner Cambers there. Um, since it sounds like 2-91.6 is in play, um, the sort of umbrella subsection there of subsection A refers to any public notice that's mailed, posted, or published by a city department board agency or commission to residents residing within a specific area to inform those residents of a matter that may impact their property or that neighborhood area, um, dot, 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 shall be brief, et cetera, et cetera. Is it the complainant's position that, that, that the city council agenda meets that requirement of 2-91.6a or is there a separate notice to residents that was in play here that we haven't seen in evidence um that i unfortunately don't have the answer to i in response to one of your questions uh, i did receive some updated information that everyone that there there's the group grand street neighbors is the advocacy group um that all of them are either uh, on Grand Street or within two blocks of Grand Street. Um, and that may be a question that could be directed to John Brennan. Uh, he may know the answer to that if there was a separate notification sent out because it specifically affected those residents. I'll take just quick nods from the group here, but I, I would love to hear from Mr. Brennan whether there was a notice that went out such that we know if 2-91.6 applies to this claim. Um, I see Commissioner Montgomery, Commissioner Chilos. Okay, barring any objection. Um, Madam Clerk, if, if Mr. Brennan is still here, could you bring him in so we can ask a question of the witness, the party witness? Hello. Good evening again, uh, Mr. Brennan. Um, I don't know to what extent you may have heard this preliminary discussion here, but we are uh, attempting to determine whether uh, a public notice was mailed, posted, or published to the residents on Grand Street related to uh, the council item, any of the council items, um, but particularly the one at issue November 1st uh, that, that the written correspondence claim is related to. Um, did. Do you know if Grand Street residents receive such a notice? Um, and if you're bringing this claim related to that notice or are you bringing this claim related to the city council agenda? Can you clarify your question? That we, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot there, John. No, no that's all right. Yeah. I, I'm perfectly okay with it. I just, I, when you say it public- was, Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was not a, not a well-formed question. Um, as a, a resident on Grand Street or a, a member of this Grand Street Neighbors Group, did you receive any type of um, public notice as a resident residing within that area about the Grand Street project? Uh, uh, Separate from the council agendas? No. Okay. Um, and so the claims that are being brought tonight um, 
about the failure to post written comments um, in the November 1st agenda, those are on the basis of the fact that there was a publicly noticed city council meeting, the general agenda went out, and then the written correspondence was not uploaded at a, you know, in a prompt manner, I guess is what the claim is. Yeah, so, so I, have that right? I knew I knew about the November 1st meeting because of what Marilyn had said at the um, candidate forum. Um, and then uh, obviously before that meeting, uh, I, I submitted some correspondence as did several other people. Um, and we looked at it, uh, several of us that afternoon, early afternoon, but by late afternoon, it wasn't there and it only reappeared um, once it was raised in public comment at the meeting um, at, I don't know, 9.30 or so. And, and within a few minutes, more minutes, we were all able to access that material then. Okay, thank you. Um, sure. While we have him here, does anyone else have questions for Mr. Brennan? Okay. I think we're good then. Thank you, Speaker Brennan. Thank you very much. Commissioner uh, Canberra, I will pick it back to you. I, I stole your platform for a minute there. Thanks very much for that. Um, so on the um, non-agenda, let's see, let's go back to the time bar on the October 18th violation that was raised on the 31st of October in the letter that came, did that come from, that didn't come from your office, Mr. Justy, right? That came from, was that residence and that was attached to your complaint? That, that's correct. That was actually before I was retained. Um, and when I saw the city attorney's position that there was a time bar on that, uh, I went back uh, and looked at the record and again, it's our, our primary position that prior to the actual vote, the issue was not ripe for adjudication as to the October 18th agenda item. But if the city wants to uh, take the position that it was ripe prior to that, um, I uh, did note that that October 31st letter did specifically complain about the October 18th agenda item. Okay, thank you. So Mr. Roush, are you familiar with that letter? Um, it's complaint exhibit three, starting at page 42. Well, I first saw the letter um, when it was attached to the November uh, November 14th Sunshine Ordinance complaint. Um, that's when I first saw it. And I, I don't know who in the city may have seen it prior to that time. But my point is that it was not certainly not filed with the city clerk as a open government complaint, uh, which is what's required under the ordinance. And that's why we believe that it was time bar. And, um, you know, again, if you're going to, when, when the ordinance sets up certain parameters in terms of what needs to occur in a timely way, uh, they're there for a reason. Uh, and one of those reasons is to give people an opportunity to cure it, pres presumably if there is a timely complaint. It did not come in. Uh, not, I don't know what would have happened if it had been filed in a timely way, um, but it wasn't, and therefore it's time barred. And uh, I think it's a I think it's a real clear cut uh, situation. 
And, and my only response to that is no, that no, that's the thing. No, you don't need to respond yet. Um, so, so the city's position is that unless it's on an official complaint, then it's it's not proper notice. It's not properly filed. That's what the ordinance provides, uh, Commissioner Canberra. Okay. Um, so I'm going to bring in uh, some other information that is, um, so I'll give everybody a chance if they'd like to read this. This is the City of Alameda Open Government Commission Public Sunshine Ordinance Complaint Procedures. And Section B does provide for um, a mechanism. I thought I had read this, but it was way back when I first got appointed. So I am on section B1. And I'll go ahead and read it, but if both attorneys want to go ahead and take a look at it, um, a complaint is filed by submitting the Sunshine Nordic's complaint form to the city clerk via mail, fax, electronic mail, email, in person, or via electronic submission through the city website. And there's a link for here. If a freestanding letter asserting a sunshine ordinance violation or concern is received, the city clerk shall provide the complaint with a complainant form for completion and submission or with the information on how to submit a complaint digitally via the city's website and then another link to here. So I'll give everybody some time to review that and then I'd like Comments from each of the attorneys? Certainly. Um, prior to the November 1st vote, there was nothing to cure. I mean, that's the ripeness issue. Um, there wasn't anything that was changed on October 18th, 2022. There was a decision made to have a revote on November 1st, 2022. And for example, if they voted on November 1st and said, you know what, we had some new information, um, we uh, reiterate our prior vote and continue to adopt the plan that we adopted on October 4th, 2022, frankly, there's nothing for the complainants to do at that point. I mean, we can huff and puff and say, well, you didn't actually, you, you shouldn't have even decided it. But at that point, it, the, the issue is moot. It's not ripe for any kind of adjudication. Um, and uh, so, I mean, that's really the, the fundamental argument. And that's why we think that it's timely, even if you only consider the November 14th formal complaint. Um, and once I saw the city attorney's position, you didn't do this in time. Um, one of the responses to that is, well, on October 31st, 2022, we did send a letter to all to the mayor, all the city council members, and the city clerk. Um, uh, Ms. Weisinger was one of the recipients of this letter. And it seems to me that the city attorney's office is just looking for an opportunity to close this out, which is inconsistent with the fundamental purposes of the Sunshine Government, uh, the Sunshine Ordinance. So, uh, I mean, the, the two issues here, first of all, before the November 1st vote, there was nothing to cure. So how do we say cure this? And once there was a vote and a something that had been done that was wrong, that needed to be cured, 
that's when we sent out the more formal Sunshine complaint saying, hey, November 1st is part of the October 18th. It's the it, it's what ripened the October 18th violation into something that needed to be addressed and cured. Um, just a follow up. So when the mayor proposed her second motion on the 18th that did not appear on the agenda, you don't feel that that ripened because it was the notice itself that well, only talked about a resolution. And when as soon as that motion was made and that discussion started, wasn't that the time of the violation? Well, I mean, regardless of what the council did two weeks later at the meeting. Well, it, it, in, in theory, it was a violation, but the question is, what's the remedy for it? Is, is wait, 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 in theory or in, pra in practice? Well, it, it should a big have difference. happened. Well, the, the difference is what you can do about it. And until that November 1st vote occurred, there was nothing that we could say, cure this. And if we had done so, uh, I mean, I anticipate that the city attorney's office would say, well, this is premature. We don't know whether there's any substantive change that has occurred. And, uh, you know, I think the last thing that anyone wants is everybody running around with hypothetical situations that may or may not be a problem. I mean, in the in the legal field, there's something, there's a type of lawsuit, declaratory relief, where, you know, issues have have ripened to a point where there is a conflict and something that needs to change. But to send a letter saying, you know, don't don't do this on November 1st. I mean, we did do that on October 31st and said, hey, what you're about to do is wrong, but there was nothing to correct from the October 18th decision, which, yeah, it, it, it shouldn't have been done, but there would, had been no harm that had accrued that provided a legal remedy to. Okay. And then Mr. Rash, over to you on the procedure and the sunshine ordinance. Sure. I think the, I think the distinction is that the, what you read is certainly, you know, is certainly something that is a, a, uh, I would call it a guideline, for example, but it's not embodied, it's not embodied in the ordinance. It doesn't say in the ordinance that if some kind of freestanding letter, whatever that kind of means, comes in and the city clerk decides that, oh, this is really a Sunshine Ordinance complaint, that they'll inform the complainants about it, that's not embodied in the ordinance. The ordinance is very clear and specific in terms of what has to occur, and that did not happen here. And just to go back to your point, and I, and I totally agree with, and that is the fact that the complaint concerning the agenda title on October 18th, I mean, that's, you know, it was ripe then because the allegation is that the, uh, that the agenda failed to describe that the council would direct that the improvement project be returned to the council at a future date. And that's what the essence of that complaint is all about. It has nothing to do with it being somehow turned into a ripeness, not until November 1st. It, if there was a violation, the violation occurred on October 18th when it failed to describe what it was that the council did on that date. Uh, if I'll, save my, I'll save my arguments for why, even if assuming it's not time barred, uh, our paper talks about why 
it is still not a violation, but I'll reserve that for our, uh, our follow-up uh, uh, closing statements. Okay, great, I appreciate your answer, thank you. No questions at this time. Great, okay. Um, I think we are reaching the near conclusion of our questioning period here. Commissioner Montgomery, I did see you had your hand up at one point earlier. Any questions that you wanted to, okay. Um, now we still have as a reminder for everybody, closing statements, public comment, we will take a recess at some point in there um, because it is, I'm seeing nine o'clock. I have one follow up question, which is something I, it's troubling me that I see absent in some of the factual um, recitations here. So there's, we received a fairly late submission from council member Herrera Spencer at 5.30 this afternoon or 5.08, I guess. Um, I think it maybe came through to us around 5.30. In looking through that, there was a, a, a point made from the minutes of the November 1st meeting indicating that at some point, about seven minutes, maybe after public comment period had closed, um, council member Harris Spencer made a comment that, that there were hands raised. And we've heard people say that, yes, there was a council member who made a comment that hands were raised. And um, Mr. Justy and Mr. Roush, I just would like to hear both of your perspectives on sort of the state of the record as to whether any of the council members who had visibility into the participant panel at the time that public comment closed gave any indication that there were hands raised at that moment that that comment was being closed. Well, I, I think that, that that's what council member uh, uh, Herrera Spencer said in her memo that that she did notice that there were uh, hands raised at the time, which is consistent with what my clients were saying. And I come back to if this were a public meeting and um, someone didn't see something and, you know, there's someone in the back saying, wait a second, even though, you know, the magic words got spoken, that's the end of the public comment. I mean, presumably you would still say, oh, made a mistake. So if there were hands that were observed uh, by council member uh, Herrera Spencer, um, I think that that proves the point. We have a different perspective on that, uh, Madam Chair. The way that uh, the way that it came down was the fact that uh, after the public comment was closed, apparently people did contact uh, uh, the vice mayor, uh, council member Herrera Spencer about the fact that they had raised their hands and that's when she raised it. But there was no indication that she observed at the time that the mayor said, uh, we're gonna close the public, public comment that there were hands raised. In fact, the evidence from one of the other council members, Knox White, is to the contrary. He was looking at the screen, he was looking at it, and his correspondence to this commission, which I think you've all received, was that there, there were no hands raised at that time, which is consistent with the sworn declaration of the city clerk. Um, and so you have uncontradicted sworn testimony from the city clerk that, that there were no hands raised and there would be no reason that she would make something like that up. Um, and, and so there was no hurry about it it was the normal process and the there was no observation by uh, either the mayor or Mr. No or council member Knox White or the city clerk that the hands were raised and therefore public comment was closed. And it's been the council's practice as indicated in uh, the city clerk's declaration that once the pub public comment is closed, 
uh, it doesn't get opened back up again because otherwise you would, you know, your meetings that go on, that meetings that often go on very long would even go on longer. And so there has to be some closure to that public comment period. Okay, thank you. Um, commissioners, does anyone else have any, Commissioner Cameron, I see your hand up. Yes, um, so I wanna have, so the, the conversation that we're having right now about when these hands actually went up and it's unclear when the time delay was, I think um, council member Rose Spencer had her first opportunity because um, I listened to it and watched that um, there was an opportunity about four or five minutes in because I could see her eyes look on the screen over to the side, which would be speculation. But the mayor was speaking for approximately seven minutes. So kind of the first opportunity, maybe to be able to say something without interrupting the mayor's presentation would have been at that point. As to when those hands actually initially went up, I think that's gonna be up for debate, which is part of my initial conversation on the technology and the delay and all the rest of that. And to uh, Mr. Rausch's point, yes, I totally agree with you that you have got to end these things. It cannot go on somebody who wants to comment six or seven minutes into it would disrupt the entire meeting. Um, we have testimony that the four people hit that, that little button, that raised hand button, prior to the meeting being closed. And I do understand that I think that actually did happen. So I don't know if we wanna be guided by this, but there is kind of a spirit of the Sunshine North that I would at least like all of my commissioners to take into account when we're uh, making this determination. Commissioner Camber, can I pause you right there? Is yes. this for deliberations? And if so, can we save it for deliberations unless it's a question to the parties? No, it's just because I, I want the yeah, public to me, be able to It's speak. not a question. And I think I need more time. If you have further questions for the parties right now, otherwise I would love to move forward to. No, we can move forward. Yes, this okay. would be a deliberation piece. Okay, great. Commissioner Montgomery, I see your hand up. Was it to flag that timing issue? Okay. Um, all right, so we are... Um, past the time we normally take a recess, and yet I would love to get through closing statements and let our members of the public speak. Um, Commissioner Cambrat. Sorry, I do. Could I get uh, two more minutes? I did want to respond to one other issue that Mr. Rouse raised. Do you need two minutes for the question? No, two minutes for the entire thing, unless Mr. Rouse okay. is going to be longer winded than I am. <laughs> uh, Okay, I will I will move a uh, two minute window of time for the entirety of Commissioner Canberra's additional question and Mr. Rausch's response. Do we have a second? Second. Madam Clerk, can you take a quick roll call vote for us? Commissioners Canberra? Aye. Chen? Yes. Montgomery? Yes. Telos? Aye. Chair Lopolato? Aye. Carries by five eyes. All right, Commissioner Camber. Clock's running. Thank you, Commissioners. You. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Rausch, for your patience. I'm just trying to make sure I got all the authority and the structure down. So I am on the Alameda Municipal Code, and I'll read it so nobody has to look it up. Section 2-22.4. That's 2-22.4. And that references duties of the commission. So I'm not sure if this gives us more weight for the procedures, but under 
subsection G, it says the commission shall approve bylaws specific specifying a general schedule of meetings, requirements for attendance by its members and procedures and criteria for removing members for non-attendance, as well as all enforcement petition and complaint procedures. And just wanted to, does that give the weight of our procedures a little more oomph? Enforceability, probably a more technical word. Well, it's certainly, you know, I'm not going to not going to say that it doesn't give it more oomph, uh, no question about it. But I think the the it would certainly be more appropriate for that kind of direction or that kind of requirement to be embodied within the ordinance itself, as opposed to a more general, uh, generalized kind of direction that would be found in 2.2, 2.4G. So I think the fact that you have that general, what I'll call administrative uh, authority, as it were, uh, is certainly, you know, is certainly good that it's in the ordinance, but I think with respect to something as critical as when actual complaints have to be filed, I think it's better when you have a clear bright line rule which is embodied in the ordinance itself rather than in some uh, administrative direction. Okay, thank you. Excellent, thank you both uh, for staying in time there. Um, so next we would have our two minutes of closing statements by the parties. Madam Clerk, I wanna check in with you and just find out what is the, the usual practice on other boards and commissions or council meetings after sort of nine o'clock um, like sort of what are, what are the boundaries of human existence on Zoom? Should we take our recess now and resume for closing statements and public comment? Or is the general practice to allow the public to, to speak on the front end before a, re a recess? I don't think there's necessarily a general practice. I think everybody goes different amounts. The council does like the general two hours to take a break, but they push through and go longer than that on the regular as well. So okay. totally your guys' call. Um, Commissioners, I'm inclined out of uh, I'm inclined to push through with our closing statements and public comment. Um, but I would love to hear from anyone else on whether they think that is becoming cruel and unusual punishment, whether a recess to break things up and then possibly another brief recess before our deliberations is better. Commissioner Montgomery. Let's keep moving. All right, <laughs> let's keep moving. Let's, let's, let's keep it keep moving. moving. Okay. Yeah. We've got like 14 um, minutes, right? Four, four minutes there. And then I see five hands raised. Two. Is that two minutes a piece or three minutes a piece? Uh, it depends how many come up when we call for public comment. But um, we are not there yet. We have our closing statements by the parties. Okay. So well, I, saw, I saw a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of more hands coming up. All right. Yeah. I had a feeling there might be. Let's let's do our closing statements so we can wrap this part at the very least and. Um, uh, Mr. Jesse, the floor is yours for a two-minute closing statement. Thank you very much, and thank you for your consideration of this matter and the uh, uh, detail which with you've been questioning both Mr. Roush and I about this very significant situation. Ultimately, this comes down to whether or not the rules need to be followed. Um, procedure is 
often a dry topic. Um, uh, Chairwoman uh, Lopolato, you can probably attest to that from law school, but it serves a very important and critical function. And it allows our democracy to work. It allows the public to participate in decision-making by our public officials, and it instills trust in those decisions and respect for those decisions. Here, the fundamental problem is that there was a final vote that was taken on this project on October 4th, and everything that we've been discussing tonight represented an effort or at least the effect of circumventing the rules that govern the votes that are taken and finality so that government can make decisions and move forward. And here it's very clear that both with respect to the agenda item on October 18th and November 1st, that it did not adequately inform the public of what was happening here. And there was no way that a reasonable person of reasonable intelligence would look at an agenda item saying, you're gonna vote to appropriate money to interpret that to mean that you were gonna reconsider a vote that had already been taken. And there's no way that a member of the public looking at the November 1st agenda would infer from that that you were gonna change that vote. The other violations, while they may seem technical or technological in nature are nonetheless also very important. The public's ability to have input and the public's ability to view material that is being submitted to their public officials. All of these violations are have occurred and we urge the commission to find in that manner. Thank you, Mr. Justy. Um, Madam Clerk, can you uh, bring Mr. Rush back for closing statements? Welcome back, Mr. Rush, you have two minutes. Thank you, Chair. And again, <clears throat> thank you, uh, all the commissioners, for your attention to uh, the arguments that we've made today. We appreciate that, your uh, consideration of the arguments that uh, have been made. Um, I'm not going to dwell on the the the, uh, the timing and the bar, the, the, the time bar here. I think I've explained that. But let me just say that, uh, that even if the item on October 18th was not time barred, uh, the agenda item was still adequate because it did reflect the fact that the council was going to discuss the, the Grand Street improvements and therefore any person who wanted to be heard on that item could be heard. Uh, more, moreover, uh, the item did not limit the council to discuss or take action on the funding on that evening. Uh, the council had wide discretion to discuss and take action on all aspects of the project funding, including having it come back at a future date. Under the Brown Act specifically, uh, the council has that discretion to have an item come back at a future agenda, even if that item does not appear on the agenda itself. And finally, with respect to the reconsideration issue, uh, whether or not there was reconsideration or not, uh, and we don't think there was, the idea is that somehow that that has somehow embodied in the Sunshine Ordinance and the Sunshine Ordinance has somehow been violated by that. It, there's just no authority for that under the Sunshine Ordinance itself. The, the, the essence here is that the complainants 
We're not happy with the ultimate decision made by the council, uh, but the council makes decisions all the time that don't that doesn't make everyone happy. And for those reasons, we think there are no actual violations of the Sunshine Ordinance as alleged, and we ask the council, the commission, to so find. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Roush. Um, let's see here, Madam Clerk. Uh, Again, I wanna open it to commissioners. If anybody needs a recess now before public comment, go ahead, raise your hand. Commissioner Canberra, Commissioner Montgomery. Is that a request for recess? I'll assume yes. Okay, um, why don't we take a five minute recess and then we'll return to public comment. And then pending how long that goes, we may need to take another five minute before deliberations. Um, but possibly not. Uh, all right, so Madam Clerk, can we uh, take our five minute recess now? Looks like we'll be back at 9.23. Thank you everyone.
All right, looks like we are mostly back. We'll wait another second here for Krishna Montgomery and get rolling. Madam Clerk, a quick administrative question. Um, can you refresh our collective memories on time limits for public comment in hearings? You're three minutes. Yeah, okay. you're just three minutes, yeah. Sure, I need to leave for just a second. I heard a crash in the kitchen and I have a 105 pound dog. I need. Good luck, Commissioner Canberra. All right, we'll resume in about a minute here, public comment. Thank you. Now have a new height limit uh, for how I can keep food away from the dog. <laughs> Commissioning from home realities. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, looks like we are all back. Um, I see some members of the public with hands already raised. That is great. Um, in all meetings, I would encourage the practice of raising your hand as early as possible. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no comments as somebody who's been an advocate as well, uh, as calling the, uh, the public comment period to begin here. So, um, uh, Madam Clerk, if you want to kick it off, we are, I'll just to reorient everybody. We are still in our complaint hearing, which is item three a, and we are, uh, beginning to take our public comment now. And there is, is it, a, are you sure it's not a two minute time limit? If we, over a certain number, does it stay in our bylaws? I'm so well, sorry. see, that's the problem is that it, I think you can set a time limit you want because your bylaws just reflect that the complaint procedures follow the complaint process and it's not addressed in the complaint process. Got it. So I think you've always done three minutes in the past. I was just basing it on your past practice. Okay. Okay. Well, um, looks like we have 12, uh, Vice Chair Chan, I see your hand up. Oh, no. The, yeah, the city council says if you have over X number of people, it's two minutes. Right. Yeah. I, I thought our bylaws said something similar, but probably not in complaint hearings. So mm -hmm. um, given the nature of the issue, uh, let's stick with the three minutes because we don't have a procedural limitation indicating a speaker threshold at which it cuts down to two for complaint hearings specifically. Uh, members of the public please know there are very many of you with your hands raised and uh, only so many hours in the evening that we can deliberate to reach our findings here, um, especially for speakers who have already spoken as parties. Um, please, you know, focus your comments on any, uh, any different topics other than what's already been addressed, if you would, please. Thank you. And let's get rolling. Therese Hall. Welcome, Speaker Hall. Hello, can you hear me? Great. Yes. We can. Um, 
Good evening, um, commissioners. Um, I'm Therese Hall, and I plan to be one of the last to speak on November 1st. Specifically, I had intended to speak after my sister spoke. At an in-person meeting, it's really easy to tell how many people are in line and when to queue up. <clears throat> At a Zoom meeting, none of this is visible to us. So I was on my phone, on the phone with my sister, commenting back and forth as the meeting proceeded, you know, watching the Zoom meetings on our, uh, on our computer. And she let me know that she had raised her hand almost immediately. I heard the city clerk notify the mayor that, that the last speaker had spoken and the public comment period had closed. I was and am irate that I wasn't able to speak. Council member Trisha Herrera and Spencer notified council that members of the public had their hands raised, but no action was taken. It's especially critical now that meetings are held on Zoom that the city ensure that all speakers are heard and gives them the time to virtually raise their hands to speak. City Council should be more willing to ensure that the public participate, indeed that the public is encouraged to participate. I know that many of these council meetings go on, are lengthy, um, but so they have consistently voted down the return to in-person meetings, leading me to believe that there's an intentional misrepresentation of the issues being brought before the public on the meeting agendas. This is indeed what I believe to have happened regarding item 7F, the Grand Street repaving project on the November 1st council meeting, which was a rehearing of a closed item. There was nothing in the description to indicate to the public that this was to be a rehearing and a revote by council. In fact, an Alameda resident had called me about another item on the agenda, and I pointed out that the Grand Street project was to be reheard. So would she please comment on it? She argued, but finally conceded and was surprised and shocked that council did not appropriately notify the public. Of course, she quickly put together something. Hence, these actions, when taken together, indicate a pattern of behavior by our city. I ask that you take some sort of action. As elected, official, as elected officials and city servants, they all have a duty to act legally and ethically and in a manner that is above reproach. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Hall. Madam Clerk, who's our next speaker? Harold Gottstein. Welcome, Speaker Gottstein. Hello, Commissioners. I do live on Grand Street and have since the 1960s. I want to make three points. I have attended almost all of these meetings um, since I heard about this project and submitted written correspondence. Chair Lopalato asked if there was a mail notification sent. There was. Back in November of 2021, I got a mail notification announcing a Grand Street pavement resurfacing project, and it said nothing about removing existing accessible parking in front of houses, which is a life-changing event for me. The second thing is the only meeting I did don't think I filed any correspondence for was the October 18th meeting because the 5i item specifically says it's going to consider a capital improvement of $76,000 for the Grand Street Improvement Project when by that time it was already announced in the staff report for the October 4th meeting on the Grand Street Project that the cost of the project was $3 million. $76,000 is trivial in comparison to the cost of the entire project. So I didn't think it was an important item or that it would broaden the scope or change the scope of the project. Thirdly, I would like to call your attention to a piece of correspondence I submitted for tonight's meeting. I wrote it on November the 3rd, two days after the November 1st meeting, 
it documented the problems I had accessing the correspondence, the written correspondence for the November 1st meeting. The reason it's important for the public to see written correspondence is so I can see whether the written correspondence that I submitted is actually in your packet and visible to the council members that I sent it to. Well, on the day of the council meeting between 2.40 p.m. and 3 p.m., I attempted to access, access the Agenda 7F correspondence from the Mastic Senior Center Computer Lab, which is a city-maintained computer. The city clerk had sent me an acknowledgement, but I got a message that the page was not available when I clicked on the correspondence link in the staff report. Mastic closes at 3 p.m., so I went home and then repeatedly attempted to view the same correspondence on my Samsung Android phone. From the time I got home around 3.30 p.m. until the agenda item came up at 9.20 p.m., and that's seven hours. The size of the file was listed as 3.5 megabytes, but I could only see the letter from Jay Garfinkel until 9.20 p.m., which is when Carmen Reed spoke before I did, and she mentioned that it was missing. And then after I spoke, the next speaker noticed, oh, the correspondence is back up. Please read what I wrote. Thank you very much. Thank you, Speaker Gottstein. Madam Clerk, who's next? Stand up, AC. All right, stand up, AC. Hi, um, I just want to point out that Mayor Ashcroft sits on the Association of Bay Area Governments, known as ABAG. And this is a regional planning board of many unelected and unaccountable people. And she is, she should be recusing herself from any of these decisions because that board could run conflicts of interest against the residents of Alameda, Alam, city of Alameda. Additionally, the biggest problem people are seeing and expressing, but they're not actually pinpointing the violation is that the Zoom meetings are, are essentially veiled. There's a ton of information on these Zoom meetings that are veiled from the public. And I don't know who sets up the webinar format but they're choosing options that obfuscate all of the information the public should have access to, including the participant list. The public should see who's raised their hand, just, and it's all possible on Zoom, but if it's the clerk or the staff or whatever, they're setting, make, they're setting these settings so the public actually can't see each other. This is a First Amendment violation. It violates a freedom to assemble and it cuts the public off from each other. There's no ability to speak to each other in these formats. There's no ability to see each other. You, we can't, we just would take whoever's word for it that people were raising their hand or not raising their hand. It does not reflect at all a similar format that is an in-person meeting and it should. And there's a freedom of speech um, issue there because people can't talk to each other. So those, all those settings are, are choice by choice. So the city could change that at any moment. And it's unfortunate that somebody hasn't brought a cause of action against the city for first amendment violations yet to change that. And the city has continuously voted to not meet in person. And so, 
there is likely reams of data that is being hidden from the public. Further, city council members keep their cameras off. And there is a case that was taken against the Portola Valley, the town of Portola Valley for Brown Act violations that found um, the, the town lost because they were texting each other um, during a meeting. Well, if you all have your cameras off, who knows what you're doing with your cameras off? So there is so much that goes wrong on these Zoom meetings that it's not a surprise you have something like this coming to you, but there should be an additional cause of action against the, the city council for First Amendment violations. Further, the Brown Act under Civil Code Section 54590 says that provides in part that members' actions be taken openly and their, their deliberations be conducted openly. I would say that has to exam, uh, extend itself to That's Zoom. Time. That's time. Yeah. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Who's our next speaker? Californian B. Welcome, Californian B. Thank you. Good evening, Commissioner. I, I agree so thoroughly with the previous speaker. Um, I attended the those three council meetings, October 4th, October 18th, and November 1st. Although I did not speak, I didn't raise my hand. I live about a mile from Grand Street, so I sort of stayed out of it. But I did observe, and I do agree, uh, the, the most very serious problem here is what uh, I agree with Mr. Justy's explanation that there was a violation of the rules of procedure and that there is a rule that determines the process of true deliberation. We have to agree on what that is. I don't know why more attention wasn't put on that, but there's these Rosenberg rules and my understanding is that they were violated. Um, and there was a lot of deflection going on in the city council saying that, oh, well, there's new information because they added the word chicanes. But anyway, um, this is especially concerning to me because there's either an error due to ignorance of those uh, rules of procedure or a contempt for the process. So I find that very concerning. Secondly, my opinion is that there should be something done, as the previous speaker said, to correct. If, the, if there's technical issues that are creating problems uh, with people being able to participate in government, then something should be done about it. It's, it's not a laughing matter. I saw people kind of laughing and joking about this. Uh, let's give the benefit of the doubt that for the most part, these are technical issues. Uh, but if people aren't able to participate in their government, that is a violation of Sunshine Brown and, of course, our constitutionally guaranteed rights to free speech and freedom of assembly. So why is not, I mean, why are we relying on, you know, the council members, Spencer, and then this letter from Mr. White, which was a month and a half after the event because they had access to information about the public meeting that the public did not have. 
why is this information being blocked from the public? Isn't this, wouldn't this be considered information that the public should have access to in real time? What is the point of blocking that? As you heard, the speaker uh, previous to me said that the, these uh, settings can be changed to make that manifest. So um, I'll just read a, a quote from the Brown Act to close. The people of the state do not yield their sovereignty to the agencies which serve them. The people in delegating authority do not give their public servants the right to decide what is good for the people to know and what is not good for them to know. The people insist on remaining informed so that they may retain control over the instruments they have created. Thank you. Thank you. Madam Clerk, who's our next speaker? Karen Miller. Welcome, Speaker Miller. Thank you. Good evening. Um, first, I'd ask that all of you go to the agenda for tonight's meeting and click on the 1219 correspondence. You'll see that when you try to click on it, it'll say the document can't be viewed. In order, um, as uh, City Clerk explained, in order to get to that uh, correspondence, you have to go to the meeting details, then you have to click on the file number, and then you can see it as an attachment. So this is the kind of thing that happens at the meetings. Um, I'm speaking tonight, though, on the violation of the Rosenberg rules, which have been adopted by the current council. The motion to reconsider, quoting from the Rosenberg rules that were published by the League of California Cities, is a tenet of parliamentary procedure is finality. After vigorous discussion, debate, and a vote, there must be some closure to the issue. And so after a vote is taken, the matter is deemed closed, subject only to reopening if a proper motion to reconsider is made and passed. A motion to reconsider requires a majority vote to pass, but there are two special rules that apply to the motion to reconsider. First, a motion to reconsider must be made at the meeting where the item was first voted upon, it wasn't, or a motion to reconsider can be done at another time if the body votes to suspend the rules by a two-thirds majority. Second, a motion to reconsider may be only made by the member who voted in the majority on the original motion. If such a member has a change of heart, he or she may make the motion to reconsider. At the October 18th council meeting, Mayor Ashcraft stated that she would now be approving the funding and would like council to consider a second motion to give brief direction to staff to review the project in light of new information and bring it back on November 1st, which she did. She did not make a motion to reconsider, and this is a violation of the Rosenberg rules, which, were, which was brought up by council member Desog. If an item can be brought back to a body again and again, it would defeat the purpose of finality. The guise in which the mayor was bringing this back was, quote, new information in order to avoid the motion to reconsider, for which she did not have the necessary four votes of the council to pass. In fact, there was no new information, only a name given to the approved road configuration. Her concern, the zigzag road, we all found out is called a chicane. Nothing in the design was changed. What did change was a vitriol aimed at the mayor by the Bike Walk Alameda community, which threatened her campaign for mayor if this project did not include the separated bike lanes. Given that this was a clear violation of the adopted Rosenberg rules, I request that the Grand Street project be sent back to the council for reconsideration. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Miller. Madam Clerk, who's our next speaker? John Haley. Welcome, Speaker Haley. Thank you. Thank you, council members or, or council members for all you're doing. Uh, we appreciate it. I know you're all volunteers and it is a tough thing, but your position here is very important. As a member of the legal community, I'm kind of a chagrined of what I'm witnessing. I will swear upon the penalty of perjury that the, the following is true and correct, as our special counsel has said that that had been done by the city clerk. I had my hand up. I've been here before. I've done these things and I had my hand up. 
once the uh, city clerk said, no more speakers, Madam Mayor, boom, it was off. There was no question by the city clerk whether any more speakers. I didn't get to have my say in this matter, which has a lot of the issues that we're talking about today. I didn't have an, I wrote an email within 60 seconds to the city clerk saying that I had not been heard. Two city council members brought it up. I believe Daysog brought it up beside Spencer Herrera saying that there were hands up. Easy remedy, just let us be heard. You talk about finality then, then there's finality, but that was an easy remedy for this for that to happen. Um, I'm very surprised that we have special counsel that was brought into this to see at this. You heard this issue of ripeness that was going back and forth. Well, you can write a letter to anybody, but until someone commits a, a, a violation or the crime, it doesn't become ripe until that happens. So if you write a letter saying, hey, don't do this, you're not doing it right. It hasn't been, you're not going to do it correctly. Don't do it. And then you do it, then it becomes ripe. That's what they were talking about that. That was very surprised. I was also surprised that I was hearing uh, special counsel talk about what other people saw. He had a lot of opinions about what other people saw. I beg you, go back and look at the timeline. Do not make a decision until you review this tape. It's all there. Everything that the, city, the special counsel is bringing up is inaccurate. I'm just shocked. Maybe he didn't see the tape. I don't know. But there's a lot there that just didn't happen. And I, I'm just kind of surprised at that what I'm reading this um, through this whole process. The last thing I'd like to bring up about was the city council. As it was just brought up before the speaker before us, which I was going to talk about, and the speaker that was going, that was the um, city, uh, not the city manager, the building director and the traffic director, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now for the moment, was speaking. He was asked specifically, was there anything new? No, there was nothing new. It had already been voted on. The finality was over. She could not raise the issue. She did that specifically for political issues. This is political. This is why we need you guys. Without this, without your council here, then there is no there is no city council anymore. Every, we're all drinking insanity sauce around the country. I know that. There's all kinds of insanity sauce going on. But please bring it back to ground. This is all politics are local. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Haley. Madam Clerk, who's our next speaker? Zach Bowling. Welcome, Speaker Bowling. Evening. Uh, so as an activist, I go to more public meetings across the state than a person probably should. And in a lot of jurisdictions, bodies limit the time to register to speak to a few minutes after the start of public comment, which is allowed in the Brown Act. Folks have to turn in their speaker cards, raise their hand early and get in line to speak. And there's absolutely no necessity for the clerk or council to pause to ask for additional speakers. Alameda isn't unique in allowing late speakers to raise their hand, but it is very uncommon. Um, only time public comment items can limit registration to speak in the Brown Act. And bodies often want to get an understanding of the number of speakers so they can just manage their time and their agendas in the meeting. So if folks want to try to raise their hand at the last possible second, they risk losing that race. I've lost that race and it sucks, but boards need to be able to get through their meetings. Um, as a very heavy Zoom user, I'd also say anecdotally, I've never heard many disappearing hands being an issue, and I searched the Zoom forums for their support forums, and I didn't see any similar bugs being reported. Um, we have uh, the actions of the city clerk and the testimony of John X. White at the time, so claiming that there was no hands raised. There's nothing contradictory to that statement. 
on agendas there uh, i will say the two hardest things in computer science are cache and validation naming things and off by one bug bugs which is kind of an engineering joke but there's some truth in that and saying that caching is very hard and very imperfect um, but specifically about the Legistar software being used um, in relation with caching, I've been building a search engine across city websites across the country to index agendas and attachments. So I've become an accidental expert at Legistar. About two fifths of our state uses it. Um, so I've spent time downloading and pulling down documents. And there is sort of a fundamental issue with like you're pulling a PDF that links a live document. You can have an offline version of a cache document linking to attachments that are stale, old links. That's sort of an issue. There's no way to physically solve that problem when you can have an offline downloaded PDF. Um, and so being that kind of a pro tip, clink the um, item number and you can link to the current version of it to view the, the uh, attachments as they exist right now live. Um, sort of just, if you're going to have an offline PDF version of the, the agenda, you're going to run into that issue. All of those agenda items, though, they store a GUID, a globally unique ID. There's more GUIDs than there are atoms in the known universe. Um, and so there's no way to forge them. And generally, when you update a document, it, it doesn't usually reuse the same one. It can, but... Um, it can cause you to run into that bug where you're seeing something was removed because if the document was updated, it shows that. That's just sort of the nature of dealing with offline documents and there's no easy solution to get around it. It's just something that you have to become literate on the sort of the technical issues to solve. So um, I don't know how you could solve that if there's any kind of legal remedy. It's just sort of like, that is the nature of having agendas that are downloaded. That's my comment. Thank you, Speaker Bowling. Madam Clerk, who's our next speaker? No. Can you hear me? Oh, now, okay. yes. Okay, Barrett Parker, yeah. Welcome, Speaker Parker. Unmute, unmute. Hear me now? Yes, we can hear you, thank you. Good. I'm gonna speak on uh, correspondence prior to a meeting because we've had several comments about correspondence and um, what its use is and how it should be posted. Correspondence posted prior to a public meeting is vital to public opinion to bring up points upon which a comment and bring up new ideas or not be repetitive when speaking. It sort of molds where the, where the public opinion is and you have the ability to talk to your peers, um, whether they're for you or against you. So I really think that's important. And it was brought up early in the meeting uh, when Commissioner Montgomery wanted only her witnesses' emails communication rather than the person on a Zoom testimony. That written correspondence was submitted prior to the rebuttal by the council's attorney and the points brought up by Mr. Rausch needed to have a real-time response. Um, the, the passion with which somebody presents their point is also extremely important uh, in a Zoom because we're not in front of the public, we're not facing the council. In other city council meetings, I'll speak to one other point, the raising of the hands. The city clerk usually says, are there any other speakers? That did not happen. It was quick. I was on that Zoom 
and it looked like everything was being rushed. I think that in the future, um, the city clerk should say and make sure she does it every time or whoever is saying it, are there any other speakers that would like to make a comment? Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Parker. Madam Clerk, who's next? Matt Reed. Welcome to our second speaker, Reed. Hi, uh, thanks, uh, Chair Lopolato and fellow commissioners. Uh, just to clarify earlier, um, my name was mentioned as a potential uh, witness to provide evidence. Uh, I didn't have any firsthand evidence, but I did witness my wife as she suffered uh, the process that she described in her evidence. Uh, I was in the room when she was doing it. Uh, but what I wanted to mention um, was uh, just noting uh, the uh, special counsel's uh, demeanor and delivery. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised when he began his remarks. Uh, he, he refrained from uh, hurling ad hominem uh, you know, assertions uh, at the uh, applicant uh, or the complainant or those who signed. Uh, but uh, by the end, he couldn't help himself and unfortunately uh, got to the heart of the matter, which is uh, trying to taint our motivation for, for complaining about this, uh, this process. Uh, and, and since he did that, I think it is worth spending a second to think about what happened at the meeting. Uh, and, you know, as mentioned by a couple of speakers, this was highly political. This was an electioneering move on behalf of the mayor seeking re-election. Uh, we should just call it, call it for what it is. Uh, and the tell, uh, really, uh, if you re review the tape, is when uh, Andrew Thomas is being questioned, the planning director, uh, about this new information. Because the, the, the purpose of having a new meeting was really predicated on new information, which has been, as pointed out by previous speakers, there really wasn't any. And to watch him have to sheepishly explain what was new information, uh, essentially being forced to confess to a, a crime that everyone knew he did not commit, uh, was very, uh, very disheartening to watch. And I really feel bad for him actually as that was going on. Uh, it's very political. And, and I think you can't get away from that. Uh, special counsel couldn't resist uh, throwing in the political angle in his closing statement because that's really what this is about. That's how he started his letter. His letter was about the political motivation of people who were signing, uh, expressing concern with this process. Uh, I've had lots of uh, issues with uh, uh, correspondence not being clear in the process. And as was brought up earlier, nobody, even the city clerk didn't have an answer as to when uh, what is a reasonable amount of time to be expected to, to have to post? I mean, I would have said end of day, you know, by 5 p.m. I'll post whatever's good for that seven o'clock meeting that night. Uh, maybe noon is more reasonable. I don't know. But the fact is there is no process. And that was outlined earlier very, very clearly. So the rest of us are, are just sort of left in a state of uh, fog of confusion. Um, and the time bar argument is, is, is irrelevant uh, on behalf of special counsel. Uh, clearly, we didn't know what was going to happen until it actually happened. Uh, we sort of had an inkling. A lot of people showed up to that meeting for that reason. Uh, but uh, really, uh, I don't think that applies here. And I think uh, please do find in favor of the complainant. Thank you. Please, Speaker Reed, Madam Clerk, who's next? Jay Garfinkel. Welcome, Speaker Garfinkel. Good evening. <clears throat> uh, I think the main point that it, uh, the uh, special counsel glossed over was the fact that there is no new information. And without new information, the city council's own Ro Rosenberg rules preclude bringing up the same issue uh, at a future uh, point. Now, this wasn't really surprising. I've been following open government uh, commission meetings for about three years. <clears throat> and uh, Mr. Rausch is not new to the process. He formerly was the representative of the city attorney's office uh, guiding the commission. 
he invariably found some picky little reason to support the action that the city council had taken and very rarely ever uh, gave an unbiased uh, report, uh, recommendation to the council. I would point out that the city, count, the city attorney is by definition in a position of conflict of interest. His job depends on his pleasing the council. The council hires and fires. If he goes against them, he could lose his job. That's a clear violation of the conflict of in interest principle. He also told uh, the council that uh, the mayor did not have a conflict of interest, even though she lived on the street under discussion. And later it was learned that uh, for her changing her uh, vote, she would have the only two parking places in front of her house in the block on either side of Grant in the block where she lives, clearly a conflict of interest. To say that the state re requires conflict of interest to be imposed only if it's involving 50 or more uh, houses was absurd. Uh, I think that the commission should do everything in its power to enhance the openness of uh, the city government. Uh, it, this isn't, shouldn't be a matter of he said, she said kind of uh, issue that we spent most of the time tonight on. Uh, the city clerk uh, could easily send updates uh, via her email list. She has a list of all the people who are interested in this meeting or the council meetings. Uh, that could be done automatically as soon as there's uh, an update. Um, so I think that the, the main thing is that the council violated its own rules. There was no new information. The, uh, Mr. Thomas knew that there was no information. He said as such, uh, and I think there is no justification for reviewing the uh, vote. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Garfinkel. Madam Clerk, who's next? John Brennan. Welcome back, Mr. Brennan. Sure. Hi, Commissioners. Um, I just want to clarify a question that was raised earlier about uh, the October 31st letter that uh, we sent to the city, the city clerk, the assistance, the uh, um, interim city manager, uh, the city attorney, and all five council members that contained um, the assertion that the October 18th agenda uh, was a violation of the Sunshine Act. Um, per the procedures uh, the city has put in place for filing complaints uh, under the Sunshine Act. Uh, I never received from any city official a, a complaint application in response to that letter. Uh, we subsequently did file a complaint, which is in front of you, uh, but, but none was forthcoming after the filing of that October 31st uh, letter. The other thing I just want to point out is that it seems to me that the you know, the essence of the Sunshine Act uh, uh, is open government. The essence of the Brown Act is open government. Open government depends on consistent, reliable, transparent uh, expectations on the public as to how the city council will consider its business. Um, hence the Rosenberg rules, which uh, exist solely to ensure that the public can depend on the transparency, the reliability, and the predictability of how the city will act and when it makes decisions. There are 
ways for the city council to actually consider new information on an issue they've already decided on. They have to vote to suspend the rules and re-vote on that basis if it's at a meeting that isn't uh, the one where they originally uh, made the first vote. So there are ways to deal with new information, but new information does not give you a right under the Rosenberg rules to simply reconsider and have a simple majority vote. So, um, and, and, and I think that's critical to this overall uh, picture. Um, we need to be able to depend on uh, the transparency and the reliability uh, and the consistency uh, and the trustworthiness of our processes um, if we're going to have an open government, which is what the Sunshine Act is all about. Thank you very much. Thank you, Speaker Brennan. Adam Clark, who's next? So Matt Reed has raised his hand again, so I'm guessing it's probably somebody else wanting to speak on the same line because he doesn't get additional time. So we'll see if it's somebody else. Okay. Hi, it's Carmen Reed. This is Okay. This is my login. Um, I attended both the October 4th and November 1st meetings. And I'm in agreement with the complaint that states that the public notices for October 18th and November 1st did not meaningfully describe the action that was to be voted on. The agenda item related to Grand Street on October 18th in particular simply mentioned a repaving project. However, as noted and supported by many speakers, that the intent was to bring back the item from October 4th for a revote. According to our municipal code, not only does a revote need to occur during the same meeting, but it also requires that there needs to be new information to be considered. In this case, it appears rather clear that the mayor had all the information regarding the chicanes as it was already published in the city's transportation plan which he had previously reviewed. A re-vote also requires a two-thirds vote. And furthermore, there is also substantial evidence that members of the public had their hands raised to speak and were in the queue. Public participation is an essential component for assuring transparency in our government and denying them their right to meaningfully participate goes against our constitutional values. Regarding the missing correspondence from November 1st, Commissioner Tilos is correct in that the agenda has hyperlinks. I went directly to the city website to access the agenda and then clicked on the posted link multiple times throughout the day on different devices before and during the meeting. I did not access the agenda through email. Comments about caching and a stale PDF are simply incorrect. Once again, there is a similar issue tonight and the hyperlink to the correspondence that states updated 1219 on the open government agenda is a blank page. Please take a moment to review this. This is not a connectivity issue. It's that the correspondence has not been posted properly and is unavailable for public viewing. The clerk tonight mentioned a link to the tab in the staff report. It is not clear at all what she's referring to and how an average person attempting to access the agenda would be able to access public correspondence when the specific hyperlink under the agenda item leads to a blank page. These issues where public correspondence is not available to be reviewed by the public adversely affect meaningful participation. This lack of access is in clear violation of our Sunshine Ordinance that strives to provide open and transparent participation in our local government. I hope you all will uphold these values. 
With that, I urge you to respectfully address the legitimate concerns of members of our, of our community and sustain the complaint. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Reed. Madam Clerk, who's next? Cindy Johnson. Welcome, Speaker Johnson. Thank you for taking my call. I'm calling in to just quickly reiterate and underscore that this complaint is mostly from a relatively small group of Grand Street neighbors who did not like a council vote that was made after lots and lots of community input and deliberation. And they're trying to find a way anyway to derail it. Hopefully you'll deny the complaint because it is a misuse of our processes and this commission and a tactic that really should not be encouraged going forward. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Johnson. Madam Clerk, who's next? Chair Spencer. Welcome, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Hi, can you all hear me? Yes. We can. Okay, great. Thanks so much. And thank you for the opportunity to speak. And thank you for, um, um, you know, you all uh, serving our community. But I wanted to speak to, in regards to technical problems, um, I did submit a correspondence this evening at 5.08 p.m. And it is not visible when you pull up the agenda. I've pulled it up on three different devices um, and it doesn't show up there. You actually can retrieve it and the clerk has gone over this uh, back doorway to access it um, where you go, where you go to meeting, um, um, she has a different heading for it, sorry. Meeting details instead of agenda. When you open the meeting details, then um, it does have a link to an agenda, but you actually don't go there um, uh, to open it. But um, then when you look across, you can actually see my correspondence listed. But this to me is an, another example of how uh, that this happens for some reason. And, but it, obviously she's downloaded it. It's been downloaded because you can see it if you go this back doorway. But if you just click on the agenda itself, it doesn't uh, show up. Um, and so I, so, you know, I don't know why, but we have these technical difficulties that arise, um, that evening, uh, of, of, uh, when I, um, cause so the correspondence that I submitted speaks to that I spoke after the mayor and, and during the meeting, and I was the only council member that spoke during the meeting and, um, uh, that, uh, there were hands raised. Uh, and that they had not been called on. Now, did they drop off somehow? Were they not visible on someone else's screen? Something that is unique to like you all, I think you can see who the participants are. I cannot, now that I'm calling in from this side, when you all are saying like, you know, who's the next speaker? No one has said how many more speakers are there or how many speakers are there? I actually don't know if there are five people at, after me, if there were 15 people ahead of me, we as someone calling in from this side, I can't even, you know, I can't see what you all see. So I don't know, I don't have the same information. And I think that there is inherently a, um, the, these concerns where there's just, it's just not the same as when we would meet in person. We would always say, and the public could see, um, we have like five, 
five more speakers. And we would actually call out names so that people could line up on the side of the chambers and they would see when they're in order. And then they could come up to the clerk and say, I submitted a slip, but you didn't call my name. Sometimes the slip would end up in the wrong agenda item pile, but uh, it was something that could be cured when we were doing it in person that we don't, we currently, the way the council runs the meetings and the That's commission- Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Uh, Madam Clerk, who's next? Margaret Hall. And just for the sake of form matching substance here, I'm showing that uh, Margaret Hall is our final speaker. If there are any other speakers who wish to speak during public comment, get those hands up, please. <laughs> Welcome, Speaker Hall. Thank you. Um, thank you, all, all the commissioners, for being really patient. I know, I know this is a long night for you and, and a lot of information. Um, I just wanted to reiterate, as one of the original witnesses, um, from what other witnesses have said, that I'd, I'd be more than happy to uh, do a declaration, a sworn declaration, as to my experience at the meeting and not being called in also on the correspondence. This correspondence thing is a critical part of, of the public experience. <clears throat> when, we, when we were looking at an issue, <clears throat> as Barry Parker pointed out, we make we form opinions from other people's correspondence and 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 we don't want to waste your time by going over the same stuff or or reading verbatim the same same ideas but um all this has been been um uh clearly um not forthright at our meetings now and it, and it's it's uh, really disturbing to me i i appreciate you guys reviewing this information and, and being really thoughtful and thorough. You guys asked a lot of good questions and, and, uh, and hopefully things can start changing around City Hall through this process. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Hall. Madam Clerk, do we have any other speakers? We do not. Okay. Um, all right, well, uh, I want to check in with Madam Clerk on whether we are approaching any of those magical witching hours at which we need to make motions to continue things. And uh, can you just remind us all what that time frame of is? Of course. So 1030 is um, you have to take a vote if you want to hear any new items after the 1030 time. Um, the only remaining items are the minutes. And then if the subcommittee wanted to provide an update, um, it would be that. So those are your two remaining items. And um, then the next vote after that is just to continue the meeting past 11 p.m. So those are the two. Okay. All right. Um, commissioners, by a nod of heads or show of hands, how are we holding up? Do we need a five-minute recess before beginning deliberations or keep it moving? Yes to a recess, a vigorous nod. Okay. Um, let's do a five-minute recess. When we return, we will... Uh, do our best to be as quick and thorough as possible. Um, I'll see, see everyone in five minutes, Madam Clerk. I think that has us back at 10.15.
All right, we are slowly welcoming everyone back. Okay, thank you, commissioners. I see Madam Clerk, I see our Chief Assistant City Attorney. I say we get going. Um, so this will be the beginning of our deliberations portion of the evening. Um, spoiler alert, in case we don't get to commissioner communications, tonight is my last night as your chair, so forgive me for uh, keeping the, the reins a little bit tight here as we hit this late hour. Um, I think we should take this claim by claim. I think we need to uh, look first at, um, at the law that's involved, at the, the provisions of the Sunshine Ordinance um, at issue, and um, hoping Chief Assistant City Attorney McKenzie can assist us in that at the beginning of deliberations on each claim. And um, we've taken in a lot of information tonight. So we have, a, we have a big job ahead of us synthesizing it. And I think if we do this in a structured way, uh, we, I hope we'll be able to get it done. So um, a foundational issue that I wanted to uh, inquire with Chief Assistant City Attorney McKenzie about, I tried to Front load this at the beginning of the meeting, but of course our scope here is very focused on the Sunshine Ordinance itself. Um, there's been a lot of information that came in related to Rosenberg's Rules of Order. Um, my read of the Sunshine Ordinance does not include that our jurisdiction includes uh, violations of Rosenberg's Rules of Order. So uh, my sense is that that's outside the scope of our subject matter jurisdiction. We have a robust amount of things to consider with respect to the Sunshine Ordinance under all five claims, but um, Chief Assistant City Attorney McKenzie, I wanted to confirm that, get your opinion, read of the Sunshine Ordinance as far as uh, what we have the ability to even consider tonight with respect to what I think are really three different complaints, objection letters that were submitted by the complainant's uh, attorney, Sunshine Ordinance, Rosenberg's Rules, and Brown Act. Sure. Um... Wait, I'm not muted. Okay. Um, the only reference that I'm able to find in the uh, municipal code relating to the rules of order is section dash, uh, 2 dash 1.7, um, which I believe one of our um, speakers may have mentioned. Um, that section provides that rules of order of the city council meeting shall be set by city council resolution. Um, so it's under that authority that the city council. Um, no doubt drew from in in deciding to govern itself, govern its meetings uh, using the Rosenberg, Rosenberg Rules of Order. Um, I will note that that section, however, that section I just referenced uh, does not fall within the Sunshine Ordinance. So um, I, I would concur, Chair Lopilato, with your um, suggestion that um, um, that there is there is good reason to conclude um, that's for you all to conclude, but there would be uh, very good grounds for you all to conclude that that is outside of your jurisdiction. Okay, thank you. And, um, you know, to the extent commissioners have things they may want to explore with that under each claim, uh, we can consider doing that. Um, but I'm inclined to proceed. Um, and thank you, Chief Assistant City Attorney, for, for consulting uh, the municipal code and, and confirming that for us. Um, claim number one, I think the question before us is, you know, was the city required? Go ahead, Commissioner Cambria, I saw you beginning to speak. 
I just wanted to confirm because we're going to be um, uh, dealing with some contradictory facts, right? And so for some of us that have litigated, we understand the notion of findings and burden of proof and things like that, which might be a little on the sophisticated side, but I think it's going to help everybody, including people that are in the chat and listening at home about what we need to do. And that uh, specifically, we do not address substantive issues that the city council has the exclusive purview, that we are only looking at the procedural aspects of what happened at these council meetings. And then the idea of burden of proof so that people kind of understand how we arrive at what we're going to arrive at. That's a great point, Commissioner Canberra. Um, to that end, Chief Assistant City Attorney Mackenzie, I wonder if, if you can provide us um, some insight on sort of weighing factual evidence where contradictory, we haven't had that many instances where contradictory factual evidence has come in. Um, so I think that's that's a great point, Commissioner Gambra. Um, so yes, Chief Assistant City Attorney, if you can give us some sort of overarching guidance before we begin deliberations, at which point I also see Commissioner Tulos's hand up and we'll need to take our 1030 vote. Um, but let's, let's hear sort of how we should proceed with these facts. Okay, I'll try to be brief. Um, uh, first, first off, the Sunshine Ordinance in itself does not, uh, unfortunately, provide all of you with um, a great deal of guidance about how to make evidentiary decisions, factual decisions. Um, so in a case like this, where you're hearing uh, one person say A and another person say B, um, you don't have a great deal of guidance from the Sunshine Ordinance uh, about um, what you do other than use your common sense. And in this case, actually, your common sense is is um, is a good guide because what I would draw from um, in looking at some legal guidance is um, if you were a juror in a civil case and you were asked to, which jurors are asked to opine on or decide whether or not a factual uh, decision should go one way or another. Um, the guidance that a juror would be given are set forth in what are called jury instructions, literally instructions that a judge gives a juror, each the entire jury um, at the beginning and at the end of a trial. Um, so I'm just going to read some uh, short excerpts because I think these are instructive. Again, these are this is not um, set forth in your um, uh, in the Sunshine Ordinance. You are not required to do this, but I think this is a good guide because, in my view. Um, the jury instructions really kind of follow common sense. Um, uh, so the burden of proof, as, as Commissioner Canberra um, um, uh, alluded to, um, what that means, the parties must or the parties must persuade you. I'm reading from jury instructions now, just to be clear. The parties must persuade you by the evidence presented in tonight's hearing that what they are required to prove is more likely to be true than not true. That's what's called the burden of proof. And then the, another jury instruction talks about how you weigh evidence. Um, so in this case, um, uh, in deciding whether or not to believe a witness's testimony, and in this case, I think you should include testimony, both um, written and, and verbal, you may consider among, the, among other factors the following. How well did the witness uh, sense uh, describe what had happened? How well did the witness uh, remember? 
Um, did the witness have any reason to say something that was not true? Uh, what was the witness's attitude toward this case about giving testimony? And it also goes on to say, to remember people often forget things, make mistakes in what they hear. Um, you can choose to believe, um, if you choose to believe a witness did not tell the truth about one thing, you can also choose to disregard everything else that witness said. On the flip side, you can also decide that the witness told the truth about one thing and was not truthful about another. So basically, this is all to say that um, you are well within your legal rights to use your common sense um, in weighing these two different uh, different factual accounts. So uh, as for the, the speaker issue, the posting of correspondence, you can all gra grapple with uh, the, the two different versions and ultimately just go with your, your uh, assessment of their credibility and their motivations as well. Thank you, Chief Assistant City Attorney McKenzie. Commissioner Chuas, I see your hand up. Yeah, uh, yeah, just in regards to what Commissioner Camber said about, you know, validity. Um, maybe this isn't the right place to cut me off, trail up a lot if this is wrong, but I was just extremely concerned when I think three or four callers said they couldn't find the correspondence on, you know, they just couldn't access it. So, and I know we get the email, which is a link or a PDF, which is actually a PDF with links. So, all of us use, I assume, use that direction to get in it. And we all, I was able to access it. I assume all of the chairs here were able to access it. And I asked myself, okay, well, that's what we see. Then I went into the city website and I'm using the Microsoft browser and was able to get into it. So I was like, you know what? Maybe it's a browser issue. So I went into Google and I went in through the city's websites and I'm able to get into it, but to have four callers say they can't, there's just something wrong. <laughs> and it's like, I brought it up earlier. It's like, I think everyone's telling the truth, but there's just something very wrong with this whole system because I, I, I you know, we're seeing it right, but some people are not seeing it. And that's just concerning to me because I think everyone is sort of right. It's like, I don't think anyone's lying. It's like you click if you see nothing. I don't think you're going to say you see something. But I, so I ran the test with different browsers and through using the email that was sent to us by the city, Laura and Irma. And I'm able to access it and I get all the correspondence. So I, I don't Thank know. you, Com Commissioner Chilas. Just for clarification, too, Madam Clerk, this we've the, 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 that's clearly deliberations. So we, okay, you're we right. That on our on our timers here okay. and whatnot. Um, you can take, you but, can take a minute offline. But luckily, Commissioner Tilo's claim number one is the one related to written correspondence. <laughs> so that is where we're heading very soon here. Um, Vice Chair Chen, I see your hand up, but there is one way I wanted to structure this discussion to really ground us first. Um, claim by claim, we need to have findings that are rooted in the Sunshine Ordinance, um, and that's that's how we are going to build our our written decision. Uh, which ultimately becomes the record in this case. So um, on claim number one, the complaint had a citation to one um, component of the Sunshine Ordinance. Uh, complainant's attorney then cited to two additional sections. I think we need to ground ourselves in what those sections say before we start talking about PDFs and caches and, because the fundamental question here is whether there was a violation of the Sunshine Ordinance. And I, 
I would throw out there, it's unclear whether any of this is even required by the Sunshine Ordinance. So with that, um, Chief Assistant City Attorney McKenzie, I have written down section 2-91.6C is what was listed in the complaint. It was. 2-91.5E is what was stated um, during questioning today, as well as 2-90.1, the general like goal. Um, I don't know if you are able to sort of swiftly read those subsections so that everybody can kind of absorb that as we begin our, our thinking here. Sure. Well, I'll start off with the subsection that was actually um, Oh, listed. I'm so sorry, Chief Assistant City Attorney. I see Madam Clerk raising her hand and it's probably because we need to take a vote of some kind. Well, it's, it's totally up to you. You don't have to take a vote. If you don't want to hear anything else, no vote is needed. So I just wanted to make sure that you are actively making a decision to not vote to hear anything else, just to make sure. It's just the minutes and the update. So, I mean, you can not take a vote and then those items just don't get heard. So it's totally fine. Let's, um, I will make a motion that if we're able to conclude the hearing by 1130, we hear those items to close them out as intense as that would be, um, just as an attempt to get through the full agenda while we have our intact commission. Is there a second for that? Council member Chen has her hand up. I mean, sorry, Commissioner Chen. Vice Chair Chen. Vice I'm sorry, Chair. Vice Chair. Yeah, I'll get it right. Is it related to the 1030 timing? No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> Do we have a second, Commissioner Wait. McCarthy? Okay. Madam Clerk, can you take a quick roll call vote on the motion to hear things after 1130? <laughs> uh, Commissioner Cabra. Aye. Chen. Aye. Montgomery. Aye. Tilos. Aye. Chair Lopalato. Aye. That motion carries by five eyes. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, Vice Chair Chen, if, will you indulge us letting the Chief Assistant City Attorney recite the portions of the code? Thank you. Yeah, I will have forgotten my statement by then, but that's fine. Right, right. <laughs> notes, notes. <laughs> Chief Assistant City Attorney McKenzie, I apologize for cutting you off. Oh, no, 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 no worries. Um, so the, the code section that was cited within the complaint um, um, comes, it's 2-91.6 entitled public notice requirements. And that subsection, um, specifically the complainant reference subsection C of that provision. Subsection A, which I think is relevant, uh, starts off saying any public notice that is mailed, posted or published by a city department, board, agency or commission to residents residing within a specific area to inform those residents of a matter that may impact their property or that neighborhood area shall be brief, concise, and written in plain, easily understood English. Subpart B goes on to kind of uh, to give some more um, specificity about what that notice, the notice should inform the residents, um, so on and so forth. Subsection, subsection C, which is the relevant section here, goes on to say if the notice informs the public of a public meeting or hearing, then the notice should state that persons who are unable to attend the public meeting or hearing may submit to the city by the time the proceeding begins, written comments regarding the subject of the meeting or hearing, that the, these comments will be made part of the official public record and that the comments will be brought to the attention of the person or persons conducting the public meeting or hearing. The notice shall also state the name and address of the person or persons to whom the written comments should be submitted. So that section, that last provision I just read, uh, that is the section that the um, 
complainant um, uh, argued and, and, and provided some uh, um, um, emphasized in, in, his, um, in his complaint. Uh, this evening, he also, excuse me, um, mentioned subsection E of 2-91.5. And this, uh, that provision, the title is Agenda Requirements, semicolon, regular meetings. So this, uh, all of these subsections um, under that have to do with regular meetings and the agenda for those meetings. Um, specifically, um, I believe he actually mentioned subsection B, which of, again, this is talking about the agenda um, for regular meetings, noting that a description, because this is that, that subsection above indicates that agenda items need to contain a meaningful description of each business item of business to be transacted. That and then it goes on to say that the um, in order to be a meaningful description, it should refer to any explanatory documents that have been provided to the policy body in connection with an agenda item, such as correspondence or reports, and such documents shall be posted with the agenda. Um, and then I think he also mentioned subsection E, which notes this is again referring to agenda documents for um, agenda items for regular meetings. All documents material to a matter anticipated for discussion or consideration of or the proposed action of an agenda item must accompany the agenda. So those are the relevant sections that were um, discussed this evening. Um, and then he also, um, uh, Mr. Giusti also mentioned a general section um, um, about the uh, prefacing the sunshine ordinance that just indicates that the goal of the Sunshine Ordinance is to ensure that citizens of Alameda have timely access to information and opportunities to address the various legislative bodies prior to decisions being made. Thank you, Chief Assistant City Attorney. Um, I think that's really helpful. Uh, Vice Chair Chen, you've been waiting patiently. Okay, there's two streams going on. Uh, number one, as someone who writes letters to city councils, um, you try to write them in as much advance as you can, unless someone calls you, you know, the day of, and you're like scrambling, right? But the whole intent of the correspondence, and uh, as you've read in the, um, in the ordinance, is um, to inform the decision makers as, uh, and that it's because you can't attend the meeting says you could write for the purpose of letting your point of view known since you can't attend the meeting. So I'm thinking for me, as someone who's on the other side all the time, I try to get the letter in as soon as possible. Number two, I have no anticipation that instantaneously the, the public can see that letter it seems kind of unreasonable. And if we were not in pandemic state, uh, most people don't even see the correspondence before the meeting. And way back in the old days, you know, when we all had hair and were younger, um, you, you'd have to check the correspondence in some big binder in front of the, in the, in the lobby. I mean, I mean, 
I know we're not in those days anymore, but the anticipation of um, having instantaneous access to all these things, I think is, is somewhat, is, is unreasonable. Um, so all I can say is the correspondence, you know, maybe we should set up a rule, you know, it has to be received by noon, the day of the thing to be posted on a timely basis. And then we need to look at fixing the, the way it's posted because I sat here going through trying to reach the correspondence the way um, a lot of the uh, speakers were doing and I got the blank page. And then I decided to listen to uh, Madam City Clerk <laughs> and I went through the other route and boom, it popped up. So I, I tried it out. If you do it the way that is most logical, it, it won't come up. <laughs> if you go around the back door. So this is not acceptable. So we should uh, find a way to fix that piece of technology so that people don't have that frustration and um, are able to access it. But having said all that, my comment is, I, I don't think the correspondence should be instantaneously uh, provided to people attending the meeting. Thank you, Vice Chair Chen. Um, and before we continue along, um, I think that's exactly the kind of stuff we need to be getting out. And then we'll just ground our findings in, um, again, like whether there was a violation of those specific ordinance um, sections, whether there's an obligation to, to be posting correspondence. Um, under those ordinance sections, and then if there is, if, whether there was a failure to do so. Um, Commissioner Montgomery, I think I saw your hand next. I, I do want to talk a little bit about the ease of access to these documents because I'm a techie. So technically I should be able to sit on any machine that I have, click the link and I should be able to get there. So I, I, I while we're talking and while we're listening to people say that they can't access, I'm like, but I did. I mean, I accessed it. But when I went to the city webpage right now on two different devices, and if you go and you look under the agendas for meetings and then you finally find us and you go over to the right side and you click on agendas and pull up that agenda and then you scroll down to correspondence blank page, I got nothing. But there are other ways that I could see the correspondence. So I, I think that um, I, I think there's something to be said about we can't see it, um, regardless of whether it was posted up there in a timely fashion. If we can't see it, how do I know it's timely? Like, I, I, I understand both sides of that. If you're posting it and you say it's up there, well, I did it. I posted it in a timely fashion. But if I, as a resident, do everything that I know. And especially because I'm, I feel like I'm fairly computer knowledgeable and I don't ever have problems accessing things. But if I have problem getting to a document through what would seem to be a city process, because here's your website, here's the post, here's, I mean, you follow it and I can't get to it, then that, that seems like it's an issue to me. Regardless of when it went up, if I can't get to it, I can't get to it. Thanks, Commissioner Montgomery. Commissioner Canberra, I saw your hand up next. Um, yeah, I want to think to follow up with something you were going to start with of reviewing the law in these three areas. 
to see which one, if any of the three actually do apply. I think you were kind of thinking about that. And I want to know if you're going to continue down that thought process. Yeah, I, you know, I think we have an interesting dilemma with 2-91.6 and this notice to residents concept. Um, and yet, even in that section, I don't see anything that requires persistent, contemporaneous updating of correspondence to the web page. Um, and, and we don't have any evidence on whether a notice was sent, you know, what the contents of a notice that, like the Sunshine Ordinance section that was cited in the complaint only states what a notice shall state. <laughs> we, have, we don't have any evidence of whether, you know, whether a notice went out, what was on that notice. Um, to the extent this refers to the agenda, just a basic city council agenda, um, I don't think the other ordinance, you know, I, I think I'm trying to bring it back to the actual act of what happened. And it was the posting or non-posting of the correspondence in a way that was visible to the public, you know, in a certain time period. And so um, I, I'll just be transparent that what I'm seeing is probably not a violation of any of these, any of the three subsections that were cited, but also a big problem in that so many of us have challenges accessing these materials in different ways. I don't know that we're going to be able to fix the technology in any cost-effective way, but I do think that some type of public webinar explaining to folks in the city who you know want to engage uh, exactly how to access these materials would be uh, a recommendation we can make even if we find a finding no violation. So since you asked me to telegraph where I'm going, that's that's loosely where it is. Okay, because as you were talking earlier and I was looking at this, and so we may need to get some clarification, but I you know the city sometimes notices only to specific areas because of specific impacts, right. not necessarily an agenda for a city council meeting. And when I read 2-91.6, that just kind of looks to me like one of those, hey, your area is going to be impacted, not a council agenda, not anything else, just your area is going to be impacted. And this section governs that area so that everybody knows exactly what is going to happen, how you contact people. And I'm wondering, is this public notice separate and apart from a council meeting notice? My read, just like statutory interpretation, is that it probably would be because there's a whole separate statutory section on agenda requirements. Yeah. Um, well, and the plain text seems to indicate that as well. And it would make sense that there's a heightened burden to ensure that you're giving notice to residents who are directly impacted. Um, but those are, <laughs> that's my amateur. <laughs> Commissioner Reed, um, I think our, you know, our chief assistant city attorney could uh, opine further if, if you're wanting to dig into that deeper, Commissioner Canberra, um, although it sounds like maybe we're all kind of reading it the same way at this point. Uh, Commissioner Montgomery, I see your hand up. Something keeps going in my head about 
comments being brought to the attention of the city council members. And I'm not exactly sure what it is that I'm thinking about that, but I, I kind of would like to hear again from whoever sends out the notices of updated correspondence, how that happens. Does it directly go to each city council member um, before the meeting, like as a, just a, an update with that attachment or is it, the whole thing that goes to them, or is it just the new piece of correspondence? Well, we it, wouldn't normally be uh, bringing our parties back in, except our key witness is Madam Clerk. I can quickly answer. So the 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 method that the city council members um, look at the agenda is um, it's it's on their iPad through the system where the all the reports and everything are in in a an app that they get to look at it in. And basically they know when they are coming to the meeting that to download it that one last time, if they've downloaded it or to refresh it so that they get the most current version of everything. I'm not sure that answered my question. It oh, was a good shoot. answer to a question, <laughs> but I think my question is more specific. Like, so so a city council meeting is going to start at 7 p.m. And I personally send in a letter at 645 of correspondence about whatever. Oh, um, okay. You were talking about does time. That, does okay. my piece of correspondence get attached to the rest? Or because it's late, is it sent as a separate new piece of information? Okay. Sorry, I misunderstood the question. Sense? Yes, now I totally get it. So basically, um, since council starts closed sessions, usually at 5 and I'm in the closed session along with all the council members. Anything that comes in after five doesn't get attached um, because we're all already in a meeting. But if I happen to look at my email and I see it just came to me and it didn't go to the whole council, I will just forward it during the meeting, um, you know, and then that way it gets forwarded. But if they open it or if they see it, no idea, you know, because it's already in the meeting. These are all tips and tricks that could be shared in a a webinar of some kind around how to be an effective advocate. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Canberra, your hands up. Yeah, I'm sorry. I need to back us up because I'm still trying to figure out exactly what law we are applying applying to these facts. So I need some clarification because when I look at 2-91.6a, it still kind of indicates that a notice or something is sent to particular residents, not to the entire city. And are, are we using 2-91.6 as the law? Does this law apply to the situation that we're dealing with? I, I need to have somebody tell me that because it doesn't look like it to me. I would agree on that. I think that could be part of our, um, I think that could be part of our findings that, you know, we're not, we found this section does not apply to the facts at hand, you know. Well, there's the facts at hand don't support a violation of this section. Right. Right. There was another section cited. So I think we need to, during the hearing tonight, which I think we need to grapple with, but um, I, I don't know that that is a, a, a difficult undertaking. So, and there was 91.5, right? Yeah. 91.5 E. All documents material to a matter anticipated for discussion or consideration 
or the proposed action of an agenda must be a must accompany the agenda. That sounds like it needs to be attached to an agenda in support of whatever they're hearing. Though I do think it, the it is important. All materials. What is it? Yeah, all documents material to a matter. You know, <laughs> the legal concept of materiality might come into play yeah. here. Right, and I agree. So I just want to make sure I know. I, I want to be able to say that we found these facts and that they support a violation of and a specific section. Exactly. That's why I wanted to ground us in the section at right. the beginning. Commissioner Montgomery, I see your hand up. So under under this claim, there's like more than one thing going on, right? There's more than one section actually be, or there's pieces of the same section like A and C being asked for us to look at, not not just the section A of um, 291.6, because there's also that C section um, that talks about bringing the attention to the people at the meeting. So I think there's two two things for us. Was it posted, right? Did, did they post the information? And then did they, was were the appropriate people given the information and appropriate people meaning for me, meaning the decision makers and was it posted in like, and, and we've, I, we've already talked about the people on the complaint were part of the neighborhood that we're talking about. I, that was one of my first questions, I think. Yeah, I think that did come in um, though. It's unclear whether there was a, like a notice given to them about these meetings. It sounded like there was, not that in Somebody fact said something about an email November in November that yeah but that wouldn't have been citing to these agenda items in 2022 so um I think that if we find that the facts at issue um are not within 2-9 2-91.6a meaning a notice given to specific residents then we don't proceed it with an analysis under that subsection. If we I do think this heard. was a notice given to residents, then we can, you know, think about the did the decision makers get it component of subsection C. Um, Chief Assistant City Attorney McKenzie, enlighten us, please. I'm not sure if I'll enlighten, but I did want to clarify in case I, I didn't want to create any ambiguity um, for um, um, for the commission. I. I reference subsection A just to provide some context. Um, the complainant, however, only referred to subsection C as, as constituting the potential violation. So the reason I mentioned subsection A is because I think I, my, my opinion is that um, subsection A provides enough context for the commission to conclude that the requirements in subsection C are only for those types of notices that are specifically required and then sent out to residents within a certain um, uh, geographic area. So, so some development projects may require um, special noticing by statute or something like that. But um, if if there was no evidence that this uh, that the residents at issue here received such notices and thereby 
were um, entitled to have um, their comments be part of the official record and to be brought to the attention of the city council, um, then, then there would be good reason for the commission not to conclude there was a violation. Thank you, Chief City Attorney McKenzie. I think that's helpful. Um, Commissioner Camber, your hands up. Oh, excuse me, I haven't taken it down. I just, um, if I could just get a clarification from Chief Assistant City Attorney McKenzie, is my understanding or interpretation of that section plausible? Correct? Can you remind me that I'm, before I say yes, that, um, oh, can you remind me what you're- 91.6C. That that applies to a specific type of notice and yes. not. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have cut you off. I apologize. So we're just trying to follow the rules and make sure we got the right rule down. Yeah. Yes. All right. And get the hand down. I will right, actually let me keep it up for a second. Then if we have another section of 2-91.5E, then to consider. Right. And so that is uh, the one that was brought up during the hearing, all documents material to a matter anticipated for discussion or consideration or the proposed action of an agenda item must accompany the agenda. And that's where I think we kind of get into this question of how material is it to know, you know, is there a, a right under the sunshine ordinance to know whether your neighbor three doors down likes or doesn't like something? And is that, you know, is that material to consideration of the matter? Um, I think there's been a lot of talk about the importance of being able to see the correspondence, but I don't know that it rises to the level of imposing a practical burden on the city to be, you know, updating files every few minutes. Um, Chief Assistant City Attorney McKenzie. Um, I'll also just add, if we're looking at 91.5, this is, these requirements are, in my view, all um, applicable to the agenda when it is published on its publication date, which is 12 days before the meeting. So I think that it is um, a question that you should all be looking at to determine whether or not, um, even if you decide that communications or correspondence from residents would fall into the category in subsection E of mat documents material to a matter, um, it's not clear to me that 2-91.5 has a um, ongoing disclosure um, or ongoing posting requirement. And I'm not, um, I'm, I don't recall um, the complainants bringing up any sort of um, argument on that point as, as it applies to 91.5. Commissioner Canberra? Yeah, but just to confirm, it is the the city's practice to update correspondence even after that agenda is posted. That was my understanding of the evidence that the city put for that. That's me interpreting what the city put forward tonight, not me speaking on behalf of the city. No, yeah, I no, Got I it. do understand that, and that the city feels it's important enough to do to post that so that not only the council sees it, but also the members of the public see it as well. Do the members of the council get it the same way that we do and emails? I guess that would be to our city clerk. Madam Clerk. I think she just explained that though in response to Commissioner Tulis's question. Okay. And then Commissioner Montgomery's question. Maybe it was twice. 
But Madam Clerk, go ahead again. Just br just really briefly, do you email them a specific copy or do they go get it from the agenda and update it like all the rest of us would? No, they get the agenda in an app and uh, on their iPads and that app on their iPads, they refresh it and uh, download a new version before the meeting to make sure they have the most current information. And if something comes in during the meeting, after the meeting has started, I forward the email, but don't know if they see it. If it comes in just to me. Mm -hmm. And I think often when we look at the correspondence, even in, in these materials, often it does include CCing the council members to ensure that they've seen it, yeah. which would also be a topic I would recommend to be add to the webinar as a tips and tricks for being sure these things get seen. Um, commissioners, I'm mindful of the fact we have four additional claims and probably need to take a vote. Madam Clerk? 11 p.m. just to continue the meeting past 11. All right. As your chair, I will move to continue the meeting past 11. Second. Maybe take a roll call vote, Madam Clerk. Commissioners, Canberra. Aye. Chen. Aye. Montgomery. Aye. Telos. As a clarifying question is, do we do another vote at 1130? Or is it no. just, it's unlimited? <laughs> I think midnight is the, Unofficial official limit, right? It's what the council does, but it's not. I'm in, I'm inclined to go in that direction. Can I, I make a friendly amendment that we cut this at midnight? I think uh, I will accept that friendly amendment with the modifier that let's just do this. Uh, I'll move to continue past eleven revisiting at 11.50 to set a firm number of additional minutes if needed. One second. Okay, this is a new substitute motion. Uh, uh, we'll take a vote on that one. Commissioner Canberra. Aye. Chen. Aye. Montgomery. Aye. Tilos. Aye. Chair Lopalato. Aye. That carries by five eyes. All right, Commissioner Canberra, Aye. please so tell me you have a motion. I just want, I want to feel, I feel comfortable that the area of, of law that we're talking about is 2-91.5 E. That is the applicable law, unless somebody else feels otherwise, at least we can get started and evaluating it based on that. I would agree with that. I think that in our written findings, we would want to, barring anybody chiming in with a disagreement, address the fact that we uh, considered 2-91.6 as was cited in the written complaint and uh, determined that it did not apply to the facts at hand, um, at which point we went on to consider 2-91.5e. Just noting that for the record to go into the written decision. Mm -hmm. um, so with that, I would agree. Um, does anyone want to make a motion to the question of, uh, was the city required under Sunshine Ordinance Section 2-91.5E to publicly post all correspondence for agenda item 7F before the November 1st, 2022 meeting? And if so, did the city fail to do so? I think that is the question. So moved. We've agreed on the question. <laughs> But do we have a thought on whether can you repeat the, can you repeat I, the question? Yeah, I think the question to us is 
was the city required under Sunshine Ordinance Section 2-91.5E to publicly post all correspondence for agenda item 7F before the November 1st, 2022 meeting? That's the first question. If so, did the city fail to do so? So I think the direction Commissioner Canberra was going in is, let's start thinking, was the city required to do what the complainants are complaining about underneath this Sunshine Ordinance section? Under that authority, yes. Yeah, so oh. go ahead, Commissioner Tilos. You know, the word that's tricky there is the all. And I've heard, mm -hmm. I wanna say it was Commissioner Channel, maybe city assistant, city attorney said, hey, you know, the 12 days before, I would say, you know, anything that's gotten 12 days before should be put there, but all the stuff that comes in day of, hours before the meeting, I don't know. The, there is no guidance on that. There is no, we don't, there is no cutoff date on that ordinance. So that's what sort of tricks me up here. So I'm, well, sort of, I'm leaning towards the no that, they do not have to post all correspondence. I would say all the stuff gotten like 12 days before. And, you know, clearly we try to put, the city tries to put everything up. And the other thing that sort of messed or convolutes or grazed the waters here is I believe that the city did, but it just wasn't accessible or easily accessible to quite a few people, which is, concerning as well. And yeah, I think we can make some recommendations around that as well, regardless of which way we find. Yes. So I, I think just to kind of clarify, we will address that, but we will address it under another section of the Sunshine Ordinance, not this one. The recommendation point that I was making? Right, I, I think was trying to answer Commissioner Telos that he wanted to, address the substance, the actual facts, and we're just still talking about which law is going to apply. Well, really, we should... if, if you're using that word all, I'm gonna say no, that we don't have to post all of it. I think but... we're talking semantics.